0: And welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk Footnotes. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and your other host is my friend and your friend, the soon-to-be touring, but also right now, as always, alluring Chris O'Toole. (laughs)
1: Well, thank you, you,
0: Damien. Yes. Uh, Doing
1: all right. Doing all right. All right. You're having an okay week? Well, you know, if we want to get into it right away, there's been a lot of somber news. So, it's uh I'm okay,
0: but yeah, it's been a it's been an interesting week as far as what's been happening. Yeah, it certainly has been um kind of a, a really hard week for a lot of people within the uh larger punk community and certainly the DIY community as as, as a whole. Um there was a really horrific fire that happened this past weekend in Oakland and Chris, uh, you you know, like, I, I don't know how up to date you are on everything that's happened, but it is, uh, you know, the ghost ship warehouse fire as now it's being referred to, but it was at a a venue uh, that has been referred to by a lot of people as, you know, this is once again, allegedly, but, uh, in some reports that I read as a, as a, as you know, as a death trap. I believe that's actually a quote because it was unsafe. And this once again, allegedly um, that it was a fire hazard, uh, you know, that there was a lot of issues with it. And uh, that is unfortunately a reality that, you know, people that are part of the DIY punk community and largely any sort of marginalized community that are forced into spaces to express themselves that are in some cases less than ideal. And that's not to paint, all DIY spaces like this. And that, that would be like, I think a real mistake to do would be to kind of try and paint every DIY venue as being like this ghost ship venue, because you know, they're not all like this at all.
1: Yeah. Agreed. But I think you're, uh, you're correct in stating that uh, circumstances often dictate the means upon which people are um, doing their thing, you know? So uh because there are a lot of uh well, of course, like real estate circumstances as to why what we're interested in can't exist in the uh the safest of places or the nicest ends of town. Um unfortunately. Uh and thankfully it's this is a fairly rare occasion that this ever really happens to be to be honest, but uh this event illustrates that it was uh yeah, pretty horrific.
0: So there's been a number of deaths reported apparently. And, uh, well, yeah, it's, it's, and the, once again, like the death toll is expected to rise, but right now at the time of talking about this, it's at 36 people yeah, and that's 36 people that were part of this world, you know, like part of this community and, you know, like it, 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 it it's home because it's friends of friends in a lot of cases and, you know, in, in the hours kind of leading directly after the fire, directly of proceeding out of the fire, I should say hearing from, you know, people looking for friends on social media, you know, and, and friends of friends kinda like being gone, it it's it's really sad. And it definitely it's a real tragedy and I hope, you know, that that everyone's okay out there. As as okay as you can be in these sorts of circumstances, obviously. Yeah.
1: It's been getting a lot of attention, which is interesting to uh, to see what the reaction is from people who are like regulators of of you know the the safety concerns of of independent spaces uh, will be like going forward. Certainly in the Bay Area, it seems, but what what effect that will have on the broad um, broad scope of, of places like this is will be interesting to see.
0: Yeah, like it's going to be. I don't know, going forward, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see what the ramifications of this are because it's, you know, like I think right now, obviously it's just dealing with the, the various, you know, survivors and the victims and the families and sort of like their needs, I guess, and like the, the uh, direct, you know, connections to these people that were affected. Um, but I think it's going to be interesting to see, yeah, like what the authorities kind of like crack down, you know, they already look to, for reasons to crack down on spaces like this for, for a variety of things, you know, uh, you know, like it's certainly, you know, so they, they don't have a love of a lot of the art that gets expressed in these kind of venues. And, and so, you know, a lot of people, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's tragic. Like I, have you, are you a fan of, uh, them, are us too at all
1: I don't know of the group like I've seen uh, the things circulating on social media like I'm aware that uh, one of the members passed I believe in this in this fire but I don't uh, I don't know anything about them personally
0: yeah well, I, I, yeah cash askew um, is I believe the member who passed and they unfortunately uh, lost their life in that fire and I think uh, it, it's, it's really you know a tragic kind of uh, thing but they they are an amazing band like uh, a band that i was only lightly kind of you know familiar with in any sort of passing way had heard them a couple times after reading interviews with them or something or they were opening for someone that i liked or uh but they are they were a fantastic band and so you know not that there's any sort of like way to sort of stack tragedies or anything like that but you know it's definitely a, a very tragic loss to lose any life but a life of an artist like that too is is somehow uh you know it it's it's also you know it's 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 immensely tragic
1: yeah totally so uh, the, uh I'm sorry to cut you off the uh they have a you it's um if you search you caring uh as a crowdfunding um campaign going on uh, if you search fire relief fund for victims of ghost ship Oakland fire, there's a you caring page and a lot of people have been sharing it. So you've probably seen it, but um, people have been donated a good amount thus far. But of course uh, any little bit helps. So any of the listeners that feel um, so inclined, uh, I highly recommend it. And uh, yeah, it's unfortunate.
0: There's we'll also our- another one that Laura Jane Grace posted today on Twitter on, I'm sorry, Instagram that I'm to post. I'm going to look up really quick too. Sorry, go on, you were saying?
1: Yeah, no worries. I was going to say we'll put this up on the various uh, Turned Out a Punk um, social media platforms um, in case you are not familiar with it or uh, need to need to find out about it in that
0: means. Yeah, there's also, uh, I think it's 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 called transassistance.org, Oakland-donations. Um, because I believe it was... Uh, you, you know, like I believe there are a, certainly a number of trans artists uh, or, or trans attendees in, a, in attendance at this event from what I've been kind of told. Um, so there is this other organization that is taking donations. Let's um, go. So, so yeah, you go to www.transassistance.org Oakland dash donations. All right. So those are the two there we can put up as well.
1: Um, and of course, or not, of course, but there was other sad news this week. If we're going to move on, Dame, I'm not sure if you wanted to say anything further on that.
0: Uh, yeah, like I guess the other one that we have to add, uh, to this, you know, bringing of, uh, the, the loss of artists, you know, that you're fans of, and this is a artist that certainly I think has had a huge impact on Chris and I, and that is Mickey Fitz of the band, the business, uh, uh recently um uh you know cancer unfortunately took his life after a battle with it and uh you know truly one of the one of the most important voices in in oi music
1: yeah absolutely we uh we were discussing earlier the idea that the business uh created kind of their own sonic template as a part of that um genre or what have you however you want to categorize it and uh I think his vocal style, which of course there's a number of bands that have the similar um, thing, but I think the business were a good bridge band that sort of has influenced a lot more contemporary groups than most. So anyway, very tragic. I'm a big fan personally, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's been a, it's been a weird week for that kind of stuff, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, like, and it's you know uh, once again the the ghost ship uh, tragedy and the loss of life there is is certainly. You know something that has to be talked about first and foremost right now because you know that is that is obviously a very pressing issue. But the loss of Mickey Fitz is is huge for for us as fans of the music that he produced. And you know, once again, we were talking about this earlier as well. A band that never got bad, like they put out records in the '90s that I don't know. Like I don't. It's hard to say because they put out so much amazing stuff early on but perhaps one of the great bands uh later on
1: no agreed i i think um for you and i a lot of people at least anyway that are about our age <clears throat> probably that are from at least this neck like this area of the world largely probably came to their later stuff uh before the earliest and so for me i I probably encountered that 90s era before i did any of the early stuff that i can recall i do remember that that singles collection being pretty easy to get mind you but um, yeah the tang one the tang yeah the tang the tang one they reissued uh but the um that the whole truth and nothing but what have you that record i can't remember the full title but um from 97 ish um yeah it's a great record and you had mentioned when we were speaking earlier about this the uh produced by Lars Fredrickson, which
0: I had forgotten. Yeah. And it comes up, it's going to come up next week on this podcast, um, yeah. as we're talking about, uh, Lars, uh, as is on the episode. Um, he is, you, you know, like he's someone who says that, like, you know, he heard about, or sorry, they got in touch with him after hearing the stuff he had done with the Dropkick Murphy's. And so it's obvious that they were paying attention to what contemporary Oi bands were doing at the time. Like, you know, the Dropkick Murphys or street punk bands, I should say, at uh, that point especially were yeah. doing at the time because the Dropkick Murphys were kind of like the buzz band at at that point uh, in that world. You know, like they them and maybe the Swingin' utters were kind of like the uh the green dan the sorry the, I should say the Nirvana and the Pearl Jam of <laughs> the uh street punk scene in America.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think you're correct in stating and certainly the Dropkick, of course, went on to you know be the the larger of the two but yeah yeah maybe I, it's the mudhoney and the uh project <laughs> maybe yeah, mudhoney and nirvana or something yeah the uh a yeah, the,
0: membership connections yeah
1: the the dropkick and business did a split of course after that shortly thereafter too uh, but you're right like those late business records like technically their
0: last lp no mercy for you which you we'd spoken about is as excellent oh so, it's, it's fantastic like all their records like the one Lars did is, is, is an awesome yep. record the one from 94 on Century Media I think is pretty good too if I remember correctly keep uh, the f- yeah, that's probably the only one I'm not terribly totally familiar yeah. with the rest of them I'm, I'm pretty good on but yeah that's the one I don't really remember all that much about how amazing it is that they went away like dressing like one way apparently and then got on tour with Madball and went started dressing like you know more like Madball by the end of the tour <laughs> that changed the Oi fashion. That's funny in a real profound
1: way too. <laughs> I've never, uh, I've never heard that beyond what you've stated, but
0: I do think that's funny if that is what happened. I believe that's the like, uh, according to legend, at least that was told. But this is in the pre-internet time when a lot of false tales were passed yeah. around that may have yeah. been disproven in current day. Gotcha. But they did go on tour together, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. They. Went
1: I believe tour. so. I do believe. I know for sure. They at least did shows at the agnostic front, so I'm sure there was some connection there. Yeah, I'm not 100 percent positive, but
0: I believe there's like a crazy famous tour in Europe featuring like Madball AF, maybe Crown of Thorns or something like that. And in the yeah. business,
1: wow, yeah, crazy. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know offhand, but yeah, I'm sure there's connections. Obviously, mm-hmm. but the um, but anyway, tragic news uh, on both fronts. Um, so we'll probably, we'll put up the info regarding those things on the, uh, the Facebook page and those other things. So if you haven't
0: seen them, you can,
1: uh, read up on it, what
0: have you. Yeah, please. Uh, check out those and, uh, and also, yeah, donate if you can once again to the victims, uh, from everything that's happening, in ghost ship, uh, around, or, sorry, go around ghost ship and the, in and, and all the tragedy that's happened in Oakland. Uh, So once again, now awkwardly transitioning on to other stuff involving the show. Uh, I guess we should talk about news uh, as far as news and current events that are happening. Uh, is there any, any buffer story we can talk about, Chris? Well, I we think break? we should do is just like kind of properly intro the show
1: would probably make the most sense. Cause you didn't really get through all your plugs and stuff. Initially we went right in. So that's true.
0: That's true. We we'll did. We, we wanted to get that, uh, talked about right off the top. So I guess, welcome to the show. This is turned out of punk footnotes. This week we will be dissecting the Tony Erba episode. Tony Erba, of course, is one of the, I don't know, you, you were, we were, this is before footnotes that we recorded the first one with Tony Erba, Correct, Chris. Yeah. So we, you never got to talk about this, but for me, Tony Erba might be number one when it comes to DIY hardcore, as far as like influence wise.
1: He's an interesting character. I know he's. One of your favorites, if not your favorite, but, uh, and you've certainly turned me on to, um, I was vaguely familiar with things like the H one hundreds and you've stressed their importance to which I have, uh, uh, reaped great benefits from. Um, but yeah, like I definitely like a lot of his early groups. I'm not as familiar with some of the later things he's been involved with, but yeah, like, uh, unique guy, hell of an entertainer when I've ever seen him live, um, yeah, I, I, I'm excited you got to interview him twice so that they're both great interviews.
0: Yeah, like I think, you know, for the area of hardcore he, that, you know, Fucked Up came out of, for people like Mike Halichuk and myself, it, it was he was the guy. You know, like he was like almost like took on this weird godlike caricature status to us. I, know, I got that. to stay with him a couple times too, you know, and I was like, I guess like I, I first kind of got guess it was like – I got gotten into the H-100s just because I had read about how unbelievably crazy their shows were. And it might have been an interview with Left for Dead and Max Rock and Roll where they talk about how the H-100s are a huge influence on them. Like from back in the day. I mean like in the 90s, this interview with Left 4 Dead was in Max Rock and Roll. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of like heard about them from that and and then I think, you know, Nine Shock's Terror, you know – kind of came out and then I got really into the H one hundreds once Nine Shock's Terror came out and I kinda heard Nine Shock's Terror and then Gordon Sully motherfuckers and then oh my god, there's just too much. But we will get into more of that in a second. Uh I guess Chris, how uh are I guess like I guess we gotta get to the most pressing story for us right now as far as on the joyous side of things. Are you ready to go back on tour, buddy? <laughs> yes as ready as
1: one can be yes
0: that's because Turnout of a punk is going on tour everyone head over to Damienabraham.com where there's an email address you can use to get in touch with the show um both chris and i fight uh, tooth and nail to reply to these emails that come in but uh but also while you're there please head over to the tour Top Live tab at the top of the page, and you will see that there are a bunch of dates listed for the Turnout of Punk, the first Turnout of Punk tour, and Chris and I will be hitting the road together and bringing the fun to all of you. And I guess this will be the first proper rundown of all the guests that are booked thus far, because Chris, there are still more that are being booked.
1: Yes, as I've as I've learned in our
0: discussions over the week. <laughs> Yeah, like I couldn't hold it in. I had to spoil it and and tell you a little early about some of these guests. But I guess uh, starting off, the first day of the tour is December the 12th in Alston, uh, Massachusetts, at The Great Scott. I will be joined by my buddy Chris O'Toole over here and also on stage Chris Menacucci, a.k.a. Cooch. A.K.A. member of Righteous Jams, member of Strikers, member of Chris. Can we do? Uh, can we do this now? Do we know all these people off the heart?
1: <laughs> MFP, Mind Eraser. Um, I'm forgetting one still. Righteous Jams. Righteous Jams. There we go. Did you see Righteous um, Jams? You did. I don't know if you did, but yeah.
0: Um, and also, uh, someone who's done graphics for a lot of great bands too. Someone who's been heavily involved in the scene, also co-running Painkiller Records.
1: And we did forget the first time we kind of were talking about this because there was this is a retake for the folks that are are like the uh, the heavy listeners. Um, but, I think so, we're
0: covering it well, Chris. I don't think anyone knew that my I, computer I crashed and we
1: had to redo this part. <laughs> I just broke the fourth wall there, but the uh, which we call it the uh, most importantly for me in recent years. He is half of the Radio Rahim uh, yes. compilers, if you will, for that wonderful record label that I recommend
0: all the releases to anybody that is not familiar. Go buy them all, check them out. But yeah, uh, yeah, incredible label. Um, some of the best reissues I've ever seen in my life. Uh, that they've done. Um, and he is uh someone that you know in his other label, the aforementioned Painkiller Records, uh, is co-run by our next guest. Chris Corey, a.k.a. CeCe, from such bands as Rotten Hell, as Invasion, as Stop and Think, as Righteous Jams, as Mind Eraser, as as he will admit the very poorly named but kind of good band, Mentally Challenged, uh, as a member of – what else, Chris? What, 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 Magic whatever. Circle in most
1: recent years. I don't know if you've said that. That's Which one? new Magic Circle. Oh, of course, Magic
0: Circle, the unbelievable Magic Circle. Oh, and no tolerance. How could I forget no tolerance for you? No tolerance. Basically, uh, every band from yeah. Boston, <laughs> practically. He he is one of those people that we're going to talk about this on the show, but I think he is like you know one of the great unheralded songwriters in the punk hardcore milieu. Yeah, I think that's well put. Um, he can write a song in any genre, as illustrated by. Iron Mind, which has a very interesting origin story, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't
1: know what you're referring to, but I do like the song.
0: Well, we will get into it, Chris. All right. Well, let's save that for them live then. Exactly. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. We're going to save okay. it for live. I don't mean we're going to get into it now. Oh, okay. Uh, so head over to Turned Out Punk, uh, sorry, DaveyNabraham.com and click on that tour Taupe Live key and buy a ticket. To that Alston – Alston, sorry. Yeah. Cooch keeps yeah. getting on me because I keep mispronouncing it because I don't have my glasses on. And it looks like Alist, uh, Alston, but it's Alston. I've yeah. been informed. And now I can see when I zoom in on my browser. But people don't yeah. want to hear this, Chris. They want to hear me get on to the rest, next part of the show. The next- You're
1: missing the one guest in, uh, in Boston.
0: Oh, yeah. Of course. How could I forget this guest, which is to me – Probably, you know, not because everyone else I'm really friends with, but this is the one guest I've never really met before, but someone I'm a huge fan of and what they do, because this is someone who drops some awesome music knowledge on some very unsuspecting people. This is Josh Cantor, who is the organist at Fenway Park, home of the Boston Red Sox, who I guess are technically one of my sworn nemesises because of my children and their allegiance (laughs) to the Blue Jays. (laughs) And your wife. (laughs) And my wife and her allegiance to the Blue Jays. Yes. But Josh, you know, and I have a greater shared allegiance, which is music. And (laughs) that to me trumps any of this sports bullshit. (laughs) Any of the jock rock bullshit, you know? (laughs) We're all brothers in the pit together singing straight edge or we're all, you know, I guess friends in the pit together singing (laughs) straight edge anthems together. We're all friends. if you want to get high, no one's going to go home with the black guy. Uh, you remember you that were... song Tanger Fight?":
1: <laughs> I don't remember those lyrics specifically, but those, uh, I
0: changed them a little bit, Chris. I've, I've, okay. I've modified
1: them. <laughs> the um You're still forgetting a guest in Boston, even with that mention. Who am I forgetting now? Greg Mental, which you did not mention. Oh,
0: my God. How did I forget? Like this to me is also uh, – I, I you know what? I can't believe I forgot this because this to me is maybe the most important person in hardcore, you know, from my perspective as far as changing hardcore of my era.
1: No, I agree. I'm, and your you know, era too, Chris, I, I, and th- I don't mean no as in I disagree. I mean you are correct as in uh, I agree adamantly with that statement.
0: Yeah, like Mental came out and really changed the game, and I think the uh, and I, I mean that in a in a kind of complimentary way, in the sense that it, it changed the way every band did things. I think like not every band, but like the effect was felt pretty wide, and I think the ripples are definitely still felt today. Yeah, completely agreed. Um, and you know, I think having a conversation with him about locking out about Mental about everything he's kind of you know done in that you know in the world of, of punk and hardcore specifically is going to be awesome he is someone that uh he's a he's a great person in uh you know a, a great a rad dad a fellow rad parent and <laughs> and also someone that i've gotten to hang out with a lot over the years and gone to to chill with but never gone to interview in person well there you go now you have the chance now I get to punish him in person. Now I get to punish him in front of you. I can't believe I forgot that. That is so insane that I left out uh, one it's of the because, most important persons to me. It's because we're doing it twice, so you probably just thought you already did it. That's probably the thing. is. I That's the thing, Chris. I'm getting confused. Well, I think we're about to catch up with reality. Yes. Um. Pretty soon. But anyway, before we do, next up, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania is where no, we'll go. go sorry, Washington, D.C. is what will <laughs> be going on December 13th at the Black Cat. Where I will be joined by a returning guest, one of my favorite guests of all time, Jason Hemmacher of the band Frodis, of the band Battery, of uh, all the incredible stuff he's done around, you know, Aleppo and the monks there in Aleppo and the music that they've done. And, you know, someone who's, who's a really fascinating person and one of the most, I don't know, like one of the, one of the great personalities in punk rock
1: yeah his interview was great i oh. uh i've I've liked frotus and i I wasn't sure what to expect of someone being interviewed from that group, so it was kind of blew me away at how uh different it was than i expected
0: he's his i think his great calling is that his great unanswered calling is in radio <laughs> yeah that sounds about right every time we talk i'm like this should be a podcast this could be a podcast Uh, but he has got a lot of cool projects on the go and he is a very interesting person. Speaking of interesting person also joining us is venue owner, member of Iron Cross, member of Grey Matter, member of I'm forgetting one. I believe Ignition. Ignition. Uh, Dante will be joining us. He also is a venue owner too so it's like you know, too, he's, he's, he's hopefully just going to be there anyway. But, uh, also, <laughs> he is without a doubt, uh, one of the most, uh, I don't know, influential in like, you know, for like bands that like kind of run the gamut for DC to me, like right up there, you know, from Iron Cross yep. to, to, you know, Ignition, where it's kind of like a completely different world. So, uh, Dante, Dante Fernando will be, uh, one of the guests, another guest, DC hardcore punk rock alum, Alec Mackay will be joining from, uh, a bunch of amazing bands. Chris, the first time we did it, this blew your mind. How does it feel <laughs> hearing it the second time? Still blowing my mind. Yeah. Amazing. Like I, I'm really excited to get to meet him. Uh, like I kind of like, I was really excited to meet Dante because you know, I, I'm i I'm a nerd. Um, and I love all this shit, but like, I, but I knew he was going to potentially be there being the venue owner. But like, as soon as this whole Alec McKay thing came up, Oh gosh, I was pretty excited. I think like, you know, like everyone, you know, people like, you know, haters would be like, Oh, I would have, you know, why don't you get Ian, you know, or, or, or something. But I think to me, Alex, way more interesting of a conversation.
1: I I agree in the sense that I don't believe anybody. Well, not, there's not many interviews I can cite with him, so I think it'll be a good interview.
0: Well, and also just like he was there, his perspective, like he, obviously Ian's, is a very well documented perspective. But Ian wrote the history, you know. But like, if there were very few people that had such a a more like had a more firsthand kind of uh, account of history or would have more of a firsthand account of history than he would, yeah. you know, for being a little kid that was there watching, you know, this all go down.
1: And if I'm not mistaken,
0: he's the older brother, correct? No younger. Oh, yes. I thought he was yeah. older. Oh, no, okay, younger. Nevermore. Yeah, no, he was in the untouchables. And so he was like the little, the little kid. Okay. I always assumed he was older for some reason. Anyway. Um, and then, uh, and then he was in the warmers too. Cool. Later on. Um, but then, and of course, faith and mission. Yeah. Yes. The elephant in the room, um, faith. Yeah, exactly. So it'll be an amazing, uh, uh you know, I'm, I'm not saying because of me, but I'm just saying like there, there is, it'll be an amazing conversation for, for me. So, and you get to be there and watch it. You, you <laughs> yeah, lucky, lucky people. And there are more people to be announced for all of these shows. But the last show, where we'll be going uh, uh after this last. show. The second last show, I should say, <laughs> after the show is Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where we'll be going to one of my favorite venues that I've gotten to play before in Fucked Up. But now we will be going there to do a live podcast with my friend Chris O'Toole, Johnny Brenda's. Where we will be uh, joined by returning to the show, star of Bloodlust Tournament of Death, which you can watch over at Vice.com still, it and over at YouTube. Also, if you go over to YouTube and search "most violent wrestling in America" or whatever, you'll see it there too. Uh, the guy who kind of steals the show, I should say, Jeff Cannonball, former guest, will be returning to the show. And it will be a great conversation because there's a lot more to get to with them. Uh, you know, find out about people's reaction to this documentary, which I think is, it's, it's, you know, it's amazing. The feedback I'm getting for this thing still. And a lot of the feedback centers around his scene in the documentary. I don't know if you've watched it yet, Chris, but I'm still yet. Watching. Oh, Chris, you know what, buddy? Not out
1: of, uh, not out of uh, any particular reason other than I was hoping, hoping that it would air on my television. It has not yet. So I'm going to have to seek it out and do it.
0: Uh, if not, you're going to yeah, watch like, it in DC. I'm going to force you to rewatch it. Yeah, that's cool. I'm into that. Um, so we'll watch it the night before just so you'll be familiar with it when you meet yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because yeah, it will sure. be like – I'd be intrigued for you to watch it and then – well, you've heard the podcast now, so you know what he's like. So yeah. it's, it's different now. But uh, but like I'd be intrigued for you to watch that and then meet him and just kind of like – try and connect the two. Cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, Cause, uh, yeah, it's, there's some, uh, there's some mental, uh, math involved in doing that. <laughs> uh, but he's a great guy. And so he's coming back on the show. Also speaking of great people, Andy Nelson, one of my closest friends in this punk rock game will be joining the show. I've been trying to get him on the show for a long time. Member of course, of painted black and ceremony, uh, former touring member of Kid Dynamite, but also did book the first shows I played in Philadelphia. The I think, the second show I played in Philadelphia and is someone that I'm, you know, love talking to, love hanging out with and has some incredible stories, uh, from cool. uh, his years involved in music, but you know, uh, someone who's got some great road stories. Cool. Uh, and someone, do you know him?
1: I do not. We went through this the first time.
0: <laughs> well, that's what I was doing, Chris. Don't worry. They didn't know we went through it the first time. You could have played I along. <laughs> I just thought you forgot. But I No, know. I did not <laughs> fucking forget, dude. I'm not that high.
1: Um, but no, I, I have been around him with you, uh, at least on one occasion. I believe I've been around him a couple times.
0: But no, I don't know him personally, but uh, I'm sure I will now. Okay. Well, yeah, you'll get to know him. He's a, he's one of my good friends in music and uh, a fun person. It'll be a great conversation to have. Speaking of great conversations, kind of, kind of one of the ones that I'm most excited for on this whole tour, Jay Goldberg, uh, just confirmed. will be joining us. Thanks to Nikki from nothing. Of course, Nikki hooked it up. And got in, in me in touch with Jay, and he, of course, agreed to do it. But he's from Eat the Turnbuckle, one of the best live bands I've seen in my life. One of the craziest live bands I've ever seen in my life, crazier than Trash Talk live, which is saying something. I'm not disrespecting Trash Talk at all because they're the former inheritors of the crown. But like, you know, crazier than Haymaker, crazier than any anything that I've seen. You know, like they are truly one of the gnarliest bands I've ever seen live, and I've only ever seen video of them um and then also uh, oh no i'm sorry i've seen them live sorry i, I should say uh, and then his other band which is also the equally as crazy and i've only seen video of i should say is uh bad luck 13 riot extravaganza who <laughs> are you know not to be confused with bad luck 13 from Moncton, new brunswick um, but they are, oh, my gosh, a super amazing, unbelievable live band. That When I say amazing, terrifying is also another way of putting it, too. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Baseball bats wrapped in barbed wire lit on fire. Terrifying. Um, yeah. But they, it'll be a good conversation. Someone who's got, I'm sure, a couple stories. Yeah. Um, and so that's it. That's it, Chris, until we get to the last show. Yes. Um, more, A couple more guests will be announced for all those shows, I think. Um, maybe one more, I should say, for each of those shows. But those are pretty stacked bills. I promise you those will be great conversations to come and witness. Come hang out. Uh, if you haven't listened to it yet, listen to last week's show to kind of get the show format. But then the final show, which I think will be a packed house when you hear this lineup, I know I would be going there even if I didn't have to be there because this is <laughs> – This is like my imagination laid out for you right now. These are some of the most important part twos, uh, starting off with probably one of the most anticipated part twos, legit overall, certainly one of the most requested to me part twos uh, there is. Meredith Graves will finally be making her return to the show, one of the first shows that I did a show that certainly is brought up a lot when people do. And I'm very grateful that for this top 10 lists, that's the episode that people always say you should check out first and foremost. So, you know, this was first and foremost, a uh, part two that I had to do. She's also kind of gone on to become like a bit of a viral celebrity. Uh, and, and because of like her work at MTV and it does like a really actually cool work at MTV. you know, considering she's like, uh, you know, having been, a VJ and having been like a, uh, someone who transit, not transitioned, I should say, but like someone who also like walked that line of being like a, a, a performer in a quote unquote punk band. And also had to be like a, a quote unquote VJ. She is killing it way better than I ever could in my <laughs> former job in that, in that you role. Have comparative
1: experience. Yeah.
0: Well, like comparative experience, but I think like just her ability to kind of like juggle the two worlds and not make them like, completely contrary to each other is 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 hard you know and i like constantly just like just ended up just shunning shit at much music just out of you know just being frustrated that i couldn't find a way to adapt it to make myself fit into it but she's found a way to make herself fit into what they do and not lose herself which is like something that i was not able to do at much music hence why i'm no longer a vj <laughs> that's why I got fail VJ on my resume that's fine uh, but I uh, you know it'll be amazing to have her back speaking of amazing to have back one of the most beloved part two certainly by our footnotes panel Michael Alago will be returning to the show Michael is uh, I don't know like the best guest ever certainly Dave Martin's opinion I know one of your favorite guests ever on the show Chris Totally. I am mean, anticipating meeting him. Yeah. Oh, one of, one of the lights of my life, like one of the truly, you know, like uh, I, I love him, Michael. Like I can truly say that I, I love him. I care about him so much and it's going to be amazing to have this conversation with him in front of people. Speaking of people that I love, there are few people in this world maybe that I love more than uh, Andy Capper, uh, who is someone who, uh, you know, I invited him to my, I don't know. I don't, I didn't know him when I got married. I think it was right around the time I met him. What a weird moment in my life before I met Andy Capper, but someone who's definitely been around my children a lot. And someone that's been, sounded weird. Uh, someone who's been around my kids a couple times, but definitely hung out with my, my wife and I, like, you know, someone that's a very close personal friend of the family I sh- is what I'm awkwardly trying to say, but also someone who through his work at vice has had an unbelievable impact on music and definitely the stuff he did at NME. check out the episode I did with him. Uh, one of the funniest people in the world. I think like one of the great, uh, reality TV shows that has never happened is an Andy Capper show because this guy's adventures are beyond anything. And I've, I've shot a video with him. He did a fucked up video in Brazil and it, it was one of the most harrowing experiences of my life. Um, doing that video because of not anything in the video, but just traveling with Andy is is quite extreme to say the least. Uh, but you don't have to travel in this case. You get to see him in New York at Rough Trade. Uh, also, uh, speaking of seeing someone in New York, someone I've never gotten to see in New York, but I've gotten to hang out in just about every other place in the world. Walter Schreifels is coming on the show. Perhaps like in the greatest collection of New York bands. Like, I, you know, like I don't want to say that he was in like the best bands ever in the history of New York because that's a whole other argument, Chris, for us to have. But yeah. like, you know, as far as someone who was in like a, a diverse range of bands that might have been the greatest collection of bands, w- w- is it him?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm apprehensive to to, to to absolutely tackle that. Well, Youth of the Day, Grill Biscuits, war Zon, Sand. which is the big one. Yeah, and Warzone. Uh, Warzone, and, yeah, Warzone is the one that really seals it for me. That he's definitely a contender for top five, top three character in that era. But um, rival schools, which yeah, I, rival I'm a fan
0: of, a um, Moon Dog. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of.
1: Yeah, you are. You have always been a huge fan of Moon Dog. Actually, you're probably their biggest. Uh, the person I've talked to like
0: the most that <laughs> talked about that. I Um, I actually fought at a label to reissue that record,
1: and I I could have
0: had it done. And people doubted me, and it didn't happen. I still bring it up to Walter this day. We'll probably talk about it on stage. (laughs) Nice. Um, But he is someone that I love hanging out with. I've gotten to see him subsequently in, luckily, in Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles, sorry, Texas, Austin, Texas, and uh, the the Los Angeles of Texas, I should say, Austin. And well said. It is going to be a conversation for the ages, judging by our, our lobby hang late night in a, a hotel in Austin. Nice. Uh, and, uh, and then I guess last, but almost as a, a headliner for me in a lot of ways, certainly for this podcast, because here's someone who, you know, I've, I've brought up Cole Cabana and his influence recently on this podcast. But the other person that probably is an even bigger influence on me and my entire interest in doing audio anything, again, is Tom Sharpling, host of the best show, probably the, the greatest comedy radio show ever, you know, from my standpoint. I'm going to say that. I'm going to get it on a limb right now. You've, you've stated it before. I think um,
1: it's hard to debate it, but I just – I always see – at least half of the duo more as a musician, which seems strange to me that they could be equally as expert at comedy or what have you. But, yeah, it's not uh, not a not an, uh, not an unusual opinion. Your opinion there.
0: Yeah. Like, I think that's it's, it's one of those shows that if you love it, you love it. I'm a thought. I'm a friend of Tom. I carry a card to prove my friendship with this person. Um, he, he <laughs> nice. is someone, yeah, no, he is someone that has influenced me in countless ways, you know, not just on the, far the show, but just being a friend and, you know, once again, check out his episode if you haven't, but having him back for a part two, I just think having this p- group of people together, what a w- amazingly weird group of People, I don't mean weird as in they're weird, but I mean like assembling all these people that are only connected by punk. Like that's the only real connection that runs through all of them. Like certain people are fans of other people's work. I know that going in and certain people are really excited to be on panel with other people because of that. But there, I don't think there's a single thing that connects all of them other than the love of this kind of music and, yeah. living, and, and living in the city of New York. <laughs> yes, these days. Yeah. The uh I think
1: that's probably correct, but that seems to be the uh whatever, the the sort of the th- through line of your show.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. It was definitely the it's definitely been the kind of like, you know, I, I think all of them kind of you know, hopefully serve to prove the uh thesis of the show um in in their own way. But this is certainly the one that kind of brings it all together. So head over to DamienAbraham.com dot com and buy your tickets now because this will be one uh, a, a good tour and there's gonna be shirts there's gonna be cool merch I've made merch thanks to Night owl the people at Night owl once again pull through in a major way and have produced uh unbelievably looking cool looking shirts featuring the logo my dad designed and uh yeah I think you're gonna be stoked on them so we're gonna have merch cool uh, anything else Chris do we have to get into anything before we get into the the show now I think you sorted the tour out. I don't believe um, I don't believe there's anything more about the tour. I think you we nailed it all. Tour, we kicked the tour in its butt. I guess thanks to Road Microphones for providing me with this amazing microphone. Chris will have his microphone set up soon, and then we both will be sounding so velvety smooth. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I guess now we should dig into that mailbag.
1: Yeah. The. Uh let me just get on it here. He got Little me moving
0: around. bag. The room.
1: I thought there was something else we had to mention off the top of the show though. I
0: oh, yes, there is. There's a new book that just came out literally oh, today. Yes, let's get into that. This would and have been a great buffer between uh the things before like just <laughs> instead of me awkwardly transitioning. Well, we did. I thought we still did a We did. We okay. we did, okay. Yeah. yeah no, it's it definitely it's just always hard to obviously transition from something. So sad. Why am I bringing it up again? Let's move on, (laughs) Damien.
1: There's a a new book that just just came out for uh, people who are interested in uh, the nerdiest of seemingly – well, the the title itself, the book is called Record Aficionado Volume 1, U.S. Hardcore Punk 78 to 85. And uh, it's a selection of records from 78 to 85, obviously, with accompanying reviews, ads, and ephemera. And it's 144 pages, two-color printing – um, you can find this at tum- tumbledleather.limitedrun.com, uh, dot limitedrun dot com, and uh, you can purchase it there. And uh, as well, uh, the person who compiled it, which I believe, Damian, you said you know, uh, at least in
0: some capacity. Hey, J. Bill, um, I, I think I went. Well, I, I, the only, I went for dinner with him one time in, in okay. Japan. Okay. E- either way, you're familiar with
1: him. Yes. Either way, and. Uh, you can uh, also check out like the Instagram at tumbled underscore leather uh, to look at the book as well. But it looks amazing and uh, highly recommend it uh, from the images that I see at least.
0: Yeah, I would say pick this book up if you're a fan of this podcast <laughs> <laughs> because uh, this looks like right up my alley. And if you want to give me a gift anyone, I would love to get a copy of that um, because it looks incredible. Um, and, yeah, pick it up while you can because I think it is is—it is definitely on limitedrun.com. So you know it's limited.
1: So, yeah, that was it as far as everything else. We can get into the mailbag now.
0: All right, let's dig into the mailbag. I guess first mail piece that we will be tearing into is from our Norwegian correspondent, Kel, who sent in an email regards to Leatherface. Rough Deck is an offshoot of Fire Records, a fairly big indie in the U.K., I guess. They are huge at U.K. indie. Uh, their records are fairly easy to get in Europe. I think Fire actually put out the first Pulp stuff, if I'm not mistaken. And they also did Spaceman 3. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Fairly easy to get in Europe, but I think the band got stiffed by the company. It's probably a sting. Uh, then he writes in, Ria Oi, the album, and Slaughter and the Dogs. One weird fact is that on the original version of Oi, the album, had a Slaughter in the Dogs... We have all track on the later. It's replaced with cranked up really high. Also, Rhea no future bands. One question: Can Crash be called a no future band if tracks on the split 12 inch were released on a 7 inch before on another label? Uh, yeah, that's also last rough cause too. Their stuff came out on a self release 7 inch before it came out on Oi Records release. So, are they an Oi Records band? I guess so. You go with the dominant thing, right? Like Savage Circle is a big city records band, you know. So you go with whatever the the most known part is. I think with that sort of, you know, I guess though that the problem would be would no because Victory is not more associated with Warzone than Revelation. So Warzone is still a Revelation band. Oh no, are they? I guess not a Revelation band. Are they a Caroline band? Warzone doesn't count. That's a bad example. But yeah, I'd say, I'd say, you know, were they a no future band? Yes. I'd say to me, they're a no future band. Crux, I think he means, right? Chris.
1: Oh, sorry. There we go. I didn't realize I was on mute for a second there. Oh, no
0: problem.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hit it by accident.
0: Um, I, was I thought say, it was just like one of those things where I just like was like rambling into space by myself. And I'm like, how long have I been talking <laughs> on this topic without Chris hearing? No,
1: not at all. I screwed up that up. Um, the, uh, I was going to say with the crash thing, I'm I'm with you that I, to me, I think that split is what I think of when the I think of The crash
0: story, yeah. Yeah, either of those
1: groups. But um, yeah, from a purist kind of like super nerdy standpoint – I, you know, maybe the first thing counts the most. I don't know. So therefore not. But no, I, in this case, I consider them a no feature group personally, yeah but, um, uh, I like that you jumped to Warzone though, <laughs> as your uh, extrapolation of trying to
0: justify <laughs> well we brought up Warzone, so They're, they're on my mind right now, war Warzone on the brain. I'm probably gonna have to listen to Warzone as soon as we're done this podcast. Hey, never a bad thing. No, never a bad thing, you know. Uh, have the ha, Sorry, have the Aglio E. Olio double seven-inch lathe cut from Australia, the Beastie Boys record, of course. Uh, originally, they said it was just 500, but it seems to be printed up in more. I think it's around two or 3,000, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it is still pretty rare for a Beastie Boys record. I've rarely been as excited as when I found that in Australia. Yeah, that's crazy. I
1: remember you were talking about that on a I don't know what episode, but I think it was
0: recent. No, I think it was way back when.
1: Really? I've, okay. I've been you, Australian you over know. a year. No, but I think anyway, whatever. The uh Oh, me talking about finding it. Yeah, like you getting, you, you right. might, anyway. But the uh yeah, he mentions the Beastie Boys here and just in reference to that, and he says they also did that pavement Pacific pavement Pacific trim lathe cut seven inch that he has as well. But he gave a link um to this Beastie Mania discography, which seems to be this like crazy in-depth Beastie Boys discography, which I'm guessing now a lot of it is probably covered under the resource, but I'm I'm imagining up for a time this was the only spot. And it's probably still the most thorough because it covers like the videos and laser discs and all that stuff.
0: Yeah. like bootlegs. Yeah, I imagine it would be the most thorough. But I think like, you know, at this point also the resource, it's constantly getting better. Like it is really it is amazing to watch that evolve. Yeah, totally. And because I just
1: thought it was it was neat that someone had compiled this independent um and really thorough uh discography and then
0: of course um it was mentioned in that uh, correspondence from Kel. But uh Well this was also originally it came out on Faleen Records, which is in Australia is like once again like uh like a, a pretty big label, like a fire records almost there. Like, oh, put okay. out like fluid, they put out midget, they put out noise addict, they put out super chunk and huggy, huggy bear chris. Nice. Um, but they, uh, you know, pavement and things like that, but they, I guess they did a couple, they did this one limited record for the beastie boys. Um, Yeah, you know, they also did a CD issue of that record too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that is. You know, for me, it's like one of those records that I remember reading about. I, of course, also was right about it being insanely rare, way rarer than it turned out to be. But at the same time, I knew I had to eventually try and find it, and I did. Cool. There.
1: Yeah, I thought there was neat little points there. Those were over a a number of messages. That Leatherface stuff was in reference to uh, Mackie bringing up Leatherface on that episode. And that Oi oh, The Album, I didn't know that about that. Like, I have this record, but I didn't even look at this when he messaged that they changed the Slaughter and the Dogs song on the the later version.
0: Yeah, I didn't know either. I think there's a story behind that, if I remember correctly. Maybe it's in yeah. Stuart Holmes' book, or it's in someone's book. Yeah, either way, i got to check which one I have and
1: and see. But the um, interesting note. But uh, we have a huge BC Boys thing to get to later, so I don't want to go too hard on it now because we're going to get into all this stuff
0: message. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, speaking again, all this stuff, we got another contributor sending in a (laughs) weekly email. (laughs) Yes. Uh, You want me to do this one? Oh yes.
1: All right. Mr. Martin, one of the days we know writes in, in relation to annihilation time. Who will be joining
0: us at a podcast, I believe in New York. Yes. Um, as Uh, a, as a guest footnoter for Chris. And also I should also say Tom Bryan from clobbering time. be joining us in dc as a guest uh uh, we're doing clobbering time live beforehand so yeah cool is we have fun we'll have fun every night but uh anyway sure go on chris hey no worries uh mr
1: martin writes in here in relation to uh the Urba interview that we are extrapolating uh annihilation time big fan he writes but was never able to see them uh the second and third records are both pretty much perfect i guess you could make a case for both Ratface and Eel being Jimmy's reaction to Annihilation Time's small dose of popularity. Mm -hmm. And, of course, they're just insane bands that reflect Jimmy's tastes. And without a guitar player as good as Graham, who I'm assuming was an Annihilation Time member, uh, it might be stupid to attempt a band uh, in that same Annihilation Time mode.
0: Uh, And then he also was overjoyed. Oh, you don't know Graham from uh, (laughs) Lettrous Gaze and... uh He's also Dinosaur Juniors. He's Jay Mascus guitar tech. Um, and I
1: don't uh, know. I don't know.
0: He is one of the like, he's put up fucked up before. That's like, I was, I wonder if you knew him just from like years playing in bands. One of the sweetest people in music. And then also, yeah, an incredible guitar player. Like sometimes him and Jay will just jam out songs before, you know, during sound check. And it's just like, Oh my God, this guy can shred. You know, if Jay, if Jay wants to play with him, you know the guy's got to be, you know, at least interesting to play with. In a time, were like one of the one of the. They were unbelievable. Like, uh, they were such a good band. Jimmy is one of the tr- yeah like, truly uh, best like Dave, front I, people.
1: Never actually saw them, but I do concur that two is is uh, a perfect record, nearly if not perfect. Um, but yeah, so like I've played with. Uh, one of the later bands of one of these people, that short Dark Strangers, I believe they were called. I played with I th- them once. But I the, think that's uh, also Graham, right? Yeah, it could be. Either way, uh, Dave goes on to say that he was amused that Urba did not know who third band records <laughs> were. Yeah. And also that uh, he wanted to note that United... In relation to the nerds uh, like you and I, should be noted that congestion at United and other plants is slightly better these days. United have a ton more presses, He's, he notes, and other plants have expanded. And, of course, some exciting new uh, openings. Third Man's is not up and running yet, but they're getting close. And Ben Blackwell, previous guest of the show, has uh, had some really cool ideas about stuff they might do. Um, said they only do local small run pressings for other uh, small labels. Uh, and Toronto has a precision plant. I'm not familiar with that one. Do you know that one, Dave?
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's um, uh, uh, what's his name. Why am I blanking on this? From Hostage Life. Um, this is really embarrassing. Oh, okay, gotcha. Uh, yeah, but they're so, they were like they they run a production company, and they've now moved into running a vinyl pressing company. Like, which you know is been uh been in the works, I know, for a while. And Paul Miller, of course. Why am I blanking on his name? But anyway, he, he, and so, yeah, Precision's like his new company that's just kind of opened up. Yeah, and he's mentioning they have new presses.
1: And uh, basically, he just mentions Czechoslovakia has stuff going, as we all know as well. But basically
0: saying that the congestion isn't quite as bad these days. Have Pirate's labels gotten better, by the way? I Were, don't know. Pirate Press records always, like the records felt better different and then the labels always felt like like it was like a color photocopy
1: yeah i they don't must like, i don't uh, i always remember there being complaints but i don't recall uh i mean i don't i can't think of the last one i bought that no, was a big deal for somebody. us yeah anyway that was dave's column this week those uh those tidbits
0: excellent okay next uh column uh, i guess <laughs> is yes. uh from our weekly contribu- contributor david up And he starts off by saying Tony is the best. Of course, you know, I I think he's also from the same church that I am in the church of Tony Erba. Uh, Gordon Sully motherfucking shows thrash bash in Columbus. Dead Nation drove out. We were scheduled to play after them. We didn't play, (laughs) which I think would be definitely the reality of. Anytime you were scheduled to play after going solely, motherfuckers. Chicago Fest, we played the day before. They were awesome. I remember the venue being mad about people swinging on the chandelier. The last show, Tear It Up, drove up as a band. We traveled, uh, so we started our tour the next day in Vermont. So Cleveland was not on the drive. Great show. No regrets. Annihilation Time, second, hopefully flawless album. And then here's his, he tried to. Did we go into this this time, Chris, or was that the, f- the first didn't. time? We didn't. That was the first time. <laughs> okay. Well, the first time. Okay. I, I I caught this myself and I meant to correct myself on the show with this, <laughs> but Dave wrote in to correct me on this too, which is that I meant to say crucifix, not anti symics which I say yes. I say yes. That I that was a fuck up. That was almost a weird slip of the tongue uh, brought on by the X sound I would fault for myself. On that, because I, of course, know <laughs> that anti Simms do not have a. They've got some amazing intros, but not like you know an acapella intro. <laughs> yes. probably you probably confused the shit out of Tony, but I like how he no sold it.
1: <clears throat> that was in relation to you talking about doing that at the Third Man, uh, whatever, and you can do a, a record on the spot.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's that machine at Third Man Records. So for the
1: listeners that don't know what we're talking about, yeah, with and if you haven't yet.
0: been to Third Man Records and done that, I strongly recommend doing it because. whoosh done it twice now, and it's fun both times. Cool. Uh, what should we go on to next? Next, uh, we have
1: an email from Mark P. from the UK. and yes. He uh, says he has a few questions, comments. He says, during each show, you obviously mentioned lots of bands that are important to you. Given that you've re- recently had a number of top ten lists, I wonder what would be – uh, top 10 records you would recommend for someone completely new to punk or to get them into the game. Mine would be, in no particular order, although he has 1 to 10, uh, Descendants, Milo Goes to College, Minor Threat, Discography, Bad Religion, Suffer, Dillinger 4, Civil War, No Effects, Punk and Troublich, uh, Misfits, Static Age, uh, Rancid, Out Come the Wolves, Propagandy, Particum in City Limits, Refuse, Shape of Punk to Come, and Gorilla Biscuits, Start Today. And uh, he just mentions that because of copyright, likely we don't play music. That's correct. And yes, uh And yes. it would be great if we could have tunes associated with the stuff we mentioned on the show, as he's always interested in hearing new bands. Uh, maybe one day we'll figure that out. But for the time being, it's not happening.
0: Yeah, like I think once again, you know, and this was a, gone into in great detail, the first show. Uh, this show, unfortunately, is like... At this point, we are definitely recording this stuff for the first time. Uh, but the stuff, some of the stuff came up earlier in the show. The first time we recorded was one of the things was this show is done for free by Chris and I, which is not meant to be a guilt thing on anyone else. Like we're we're happy to do it because we love doing the show. But because of that, we unfortunately have a little bit of limited time. So that's why there's not as much in depth footnotes as far as putting up online, like all the bands we talk about. Like I know people have always been asking me to do that. And if there was like a way to do this where I was you know, able to subsidize my income so I didn't have to write columns for Vice or do something else that takes up a lot of time, I would gladly do that stuff. But until that day comes, I think both Chris and I unfortunately are, are limited to what you hear here for the most part.
1: Yeah, and we try to do the best. Like we've done a number of lists and we'll do them in the future and we'll try to publish them as best as possible. So at least – nowadays at least you have a good uh- – but. Searching is a lot easier, let's say, to hear a lot of this stuff than it would have been 20 years ago. So,
0: But that being said, we definitely should do our top 10 punk records that we would do <laughs> yeah. to get people into punk. I've always said my number one record that I would give someone that never heard punk, that was like, what is this genre that uh, – You know, like let's say they were unfrozen, and that's their first question. Very (laughs) weird first question, but let's just go with it for the sake of this podcast. I would give them uh, feeders ever feel like killing your boss. Mm, Interesting. I've always said that would be the first one because I think that to me is like a record that has like all the the nastiness of the Sex Pistols, but has a little bit more of an interesting politic uh, than the Sex Pistols were kind of like offering at the time. Uh, I think also the confrontation of what they were doing is interesting. The way the record is, is done, the lyrics, uh, everything. I just think it's a, it, it's a, uh, to me, it, it it's the record that I've always thought, like, I don't know if maybe Stuart Schrader said something similar in Game of the Arsenals way back when, when he talked about that, them and that band, but they to me are like certainly a band beyond, uh, beyond just about any. Um, so that would be always one of my picks for the top ten records. These aren't in order, for me, by the way. Uh, Chris, do you have one?
1: Ooh, well, there was. Um, I mean, it's hard. If I had to choose, just looking at his list, the only one I would choose because it's easiest to choose the discography would be Minor Threat. I would choose that discography, which we've talked about on this show before.
0: Yeah, let's do like uh, let's do LPs because, like, you know me, I'm a stickler for rules. Yeah, when it comes to these things, you so. want to do true LPs and so not. Punk. Yeah, and these aren't punk. our best ones, right? These are records you're giving someone to be like, "Hey, here's a reflection of what what punk is." Ooh, LPs. Okay, well,
1: I I think like my at least first pick is going to be pretty non-inventive because I think it's just the the sort of the tried and true. So I would probably give the first Ramones LP. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just going to do that. I'm not trying to cop out on this. I just think it really is. Uh, stylistically perfection as far as like giving someone something so pure.
0: Mm-hmm. You're right. And I think it's like very accessible. If someone had never yeah. heard any of this stuff, I think uh, um, I would uh, next, I would probably go um, and this, like all this stuff's going to be very generic, I think for the most part. Yeah. And, and you know, it'll like, be a couple of outliers I think, but uh, I think, you know, keeping it in the generic sphere I think I'd probably go bad brains and I think like this is where I'm going to already kind of break my rule because what counts as a bad brains record is always up for debate. But I think the roar cassette is the one you can make the <laughs> best argument for. Yeah. You know, cause like black dots, I don't think you can count until, you know, cause it comes out after the fact, but I think the roar cassette and the effect that tape had on people, you know, that's why I don't like discographies because it's not like – I think also the other thing with punk is like the effect it had on the people around it, like the records and that came out after it and stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I can see. I, I see that uh, – I just mean in terms of like the way it was framed. I think uh, the Meyer threat discography does serve as almost like this LP after the fact nowadays. Yeah, definitely.
0: Yeah, nowadays, 100 percent it does. Yeah. For our uh, needs, yes, we'll exclude that. That, uh, I'd accept out of step, I think, before I'd accept that,
1: you know? Yeah, out of step would work. I, so then, yeah, I would choose out of step, let's say, if you're, if you're, if I'm being a stickler about the discography thing.
0: Okay. Um, Ramones so and
1: Ramones and would... out of, Ramones and out of steps. So those are my two, but first two.
0: Uh, I would also probably have one of what, uh, one off this list, which is, there'd be a couple off this list that I would probably have on mine. I'd have Shape of Punk to come, by refused. Like, these aren't necessarily records I even like. You know, I, I like I like shape of punk to come. I should say, but like, but I like, but I, I think there's like records I would have on this list that I don't necessarily like. Uh, Grill Biscuits could be there for me. Descendants, Milo goes to college could be there for me. Um, punk and Drublik could probably be there for me. Uh, Dylan Jafor, I don't know if I go with Civil War could be there for me. Uh, Misfits, I don't think Static Age. Um, I think for. You know, what would I know? You don't like the Misfits, Chris. You're on the wrong (laughs) wrong ask on this
1: one, one, yeah.
0: Uh, But uh, (laughs) I I would definitely have the Misfits on my list, but I don't think Static Age counts because it came out after the fact. Um, But (laughs) I guess his his list is different, right? I'm changing the parameters because, like, records you give someone to get them into the genre. Yeah, that's kind of harder to say because it's like, what do you give someone? Like, I don't think anything would get someone in a punk that wasn't going to get it. And then I think you could play them just about any, play them any selection of good music.
1: Yeah, I think like, yeah, I think he, he's, his overall list is, is decent in the sense that it gives the idea of what I think he's trying to convey.
0: I, there were things on here that I would not have chosen. Um, I think a lot of also in a similar time period and, and, just, you know, place internationally. Like I would have, you know, I would have, uh, like stuff from South America, a hundred percent, definitely stuff from Japan. Yeah, um, true. Uh, you know, like, and then European stuff, uh, I don't think, with the exception of refused. Uh, like, but I, I would definitely, there's like a lot of stuff that came into Europe, like South African punk. Like there's a lot of stuff that came in of uh, various places in South Africa that is just ridiculously amazing. Um, so there's like, you know, a lot of like, a lot of like room and I think international punk and the importance of international punk is one of the things that makes punk so unique out of North American or Western quote unquote genres or genres that exist in West is the fact that there's almost this international dialogue that happens in punk that rarely happens in other types of music.
1: Yeah, it, agreed. I, what think, I see, I think for us to do the top 10, uh, <laughs> we're not going to probably do it. No, you're right. You're right. I was. I was. I was naive. <laughs> That's okay. They get the idea. I think, like uh, by and large, this list is a is a decent starter list for sure. Um, yeah.
0: But I would choose a much earlier propaganda record personally. speaking. Yeah, I would probably me too. I would probably pick like a record that changed the game. I think is is you know uh, how to clean everything. It did, but I wouldn't choose that one. No, no, not for me. And, like, I yeah. don't think, I think, like, you know, I think more rock, less talk is, yeah. like, the greatest document of, of, like, political punk ideology. Like, it just, it's still, like, there's lyrics in that that I still listen to and I'm still, like, dissecting and understanding now as, like, uh, as someone who's been in a quote unquote adult for some time. Yeah, agreed. Um, And I think they're, you know, a band that still reflects – Like, there's political issues I even disagree with them on now, like which is an interesting thing to kind of come to later on. Like I always felt there were certain things that they believed in that I knew were moral standpoints that I should get on board with. But there's other stuff now that I'm like, oh, well, I don't agree with them on that thing that much. But at the same time, there's other stuff that I think they are still – oh, my God, are they spot on and they were right. (laughs) Oh, my God, were they right. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that'll be a good a nice car ride discussion
0: <laughs> oh do i wish reach the sky was right instead
1: <laughs> so uh we're gonna move on to the next message but uh thank you for the message there we'll maybe try and dissect it. yeah
0: we'll course. try that'll be on another list but like records to get people in a punk i used to make tapes all the time to get people in a punk and i think they even come up on the show one time someone like talked about getting one of those tapes uh jonah i think talked about getting one of those tapes Hmm. That I made, but I would like put all these different bands and I try and put like, you know, a turning point song, a Converge song, a Dillinger four song. And you, like, you know, just you try and hit every possible genre just because I'd be like constantly looking like I got to get someone into this music. I'm so alone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, uh, uh, onto the next,
1: or are we going to go on to, to the one?
0: next one, Chris, as all they right. say in that famous song. There you go.
1: Uh, Blitz, post-punk records from John E. Uh, On the most recent footnotes, y'all had some displeasure with the post-punk records in the Blitz discography. I totally understand. Uh, He totally understands our point. They don't compare to the early Blitz, but I agree. Uh, I agree, but I still feel the post-punk records are still really good, not revolutionary, but doing the style good. Uh, Now, I would like to segue into my question of what bands uh do we love that made a complete stylistic change that disappointed or turned turned us off the band? Um second question, what bands do we love that made the stylistic change that disappoint or turned us off the band? I know I bring this up cromags a lot, but he claims uh here are the perfect example, two amazing records, Age of Coral, best wishes, then uh then began dropping uh, as he quotes here, awful crossover records. Crossover thrash records. He claims they were the worst parts of that era: cheesy over singing, overblown song lengths, <laughs> jerk off guitar noodling solos. If it seems like I'm really uh, going in on the chrome eggs, it's because I really have, hate those later records. So that was the message. Um, I don't know if I hate them as much as you do. <laughs>
0: those later yeah, records, like, but... I think Johnny. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the things that I, I like, I I do like the chrome eggs. I would even say there's like a departure that goes on between uh Age of Quarrel and Best Wishes, obviously, right? Yeah, I agree. And so it's like I don't know, like a lot of people get off on Age of Quarrel. And I mean I mean get off. I get like a lot of people get off on Age of, <laughs> of Quarrel too. But a lot of people like, you know, aren't aren't along for the best wishes ride. Aren't on board for Best Wishes, yes. Yeah. I um, uh I, I, I like both those records. Um I do too. I think there's a lot of bands though that did, that did that stylistic change. You know, I remember in the more recent when "Tear It Up" slowed down even slightly, being like, "Oh, I don't like him anymore." You, know? <laughs> you speak of that, but I don't. I don't remember that being a big deal. It but, wasn't uh, that big of a deal, but that's just like how petty I was. <laughs> I Cromags, know. I will say this: I
1: think that as much of the, uh, you know, sort of stylistic or sonic changes, I don't think it really. Like again, as much as I don't like the later records, it didn't really like betray the Chromegs for me though. Like I realize that nothing was as good as Age of Coral, but you know, I can I can live with like a revenge or whatever those other records are. I don't like they don't bother me to the point where it's like, you know, I would not I would turn my back on the group. So I you know, I I don't hang with those records but they don't I don't know, they don't light that fire they do uh like they did to the listener here. I don't know why, but they don't, but yeah. I don't listen to them ever <laughs> to be fair. Yeah. No, I understand.
0: Anyway. Yeah. I feel the same way. Like I don't feel the same, like passionate hate of hatred either, but like I feel the same way about them. Like I, they're not as important to me, but like to be insane, like if I was going to actually rate them, I think age of quarrels, like, you know, head and shoulders above in importance to me to, um, best wishes.
1: Yeah. I agree with that. I totally agree with that. I I even agree with people who like do not acknowledge. Like I I am okay with Best Wishes, but I accept that people don't even acknowledge that record that much. So yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. It just depends, I guess, on how um, rigid you are in your in your feelings of what that original era represents.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's it's all what it depends on. Yeah. Um. I guess. Uh. So. Uh. I guess moving on. Uh, yep. I, can you think of any other bands?
1: Oh boy, that changed stylistically. That I turned off completely from.
0: Um, I'm in a band that people turned off completely <laughs> stylistically when we changed slightly.
1: One I remember vividly when
0: I was young, and it's not that I
1: dislike this band like wholeheartedly, but I definitely don't haven't haven't really listened to them since being like a younger person. But I remember when Total Chaos did the stylistic change; I hated it. Um, That's like a tree falling in the forest, Chris. I know. But it's They're like still, what I a lot
0: weird random man I know. To be at. Well,
1: that's the only one I can think of.
0: I'm trying to think of off the top of my head. This is the first that's time it. people have had this conversation yep. since that moment in history. That's what we're here for. That is what we're here for, 100%. Did you, were you at that Total Chaos show in Toronto when they played and Left 4 Dead opened? It was the first Left 4 Dead show? I was not, no. Um, that to me, we interviewed them, Tristan and I, for Tristan's fanzine. Nice. And they talked about uh, sexually assaulting us and leaving us in a ditch. <laughs> My brother else? was like 13 or 12.
1: Oh, <laughs> well, that's awkward.
0: It was really weird.
1: They well, were- the stylistic change, if we're getting back to this real quick, like Warzone is the one that people tend to lampoon yep, yep. that one record. Uh, I basically just don't acknowledge that record.
0: That Religion, <laughs> Into the Unknown.
1: Yeah, exactly. They're one. I mean, there's a lot of infamous ones, but there's a lot not too many that – I like really can think of vividly of, of like being like angry about or something. I guess I like I
0: should have felt angry about suffer survive. Cause like that was the one I was invested in when a band did a stylistic <laughs> shift, but like I couldn't hate on them, you know? And I think now even being closer to that situation and knowing what it's like, it's like, how could you, be, you know, like, and it's not to be bang to bag on the listener on this one, but like, how can you be mad at a band for changing their sound for whatever their motivation is? It's like, Do it. It's such a short ride. No matter what you do, people will stop caring about your band and you can be as DIY as fuck, you know, unless you're tragedy or Fugazi, people eventually stop caring about your band probably. And (laughs) this isn't a dig on other bands that have made these choices. I think loss will be a band that will be remembered forever. You know, there's definitely bands that will be remembered forever. So this isn't a dig on them, not signing epitaph or anything like that. I don't mean it like that, but I mean like at the same time, like, If you're a band and you're in a situation where you're presented with an interesting offer, I don't mean that necessarily just financially either, but just go for it because it is a short fucking ride and it is a very – there's one path that's proven and that's sticking to this one like little thing sonically that you're doing and eventually people get bored of it and that's the end.
1: Yeah, Uh, I think – it's a double-edged sword, right? Like, I don't disagree with what you're saying artistically speaking. I'm completely with you, but I do think there's an element to what we discuss on this show that is the what you just described. So I'm in a little bit of both worlds. Like, I have no beef with your band at all or other bands that have done something similar, but I'm also like the person who loves like a band that has like a three-year lifespan that never changes and like
0: only puts out like two or three records and then that's it. (laughs) Yeah. Unless you're in that band who had that three year lifespan. And then it's like, well, wouldn't you just like, wouldn't it be cool to find a way to just figure a way to do that for longer and make a living at it for maybe potentially and like, you know, maybe not change your sound, but like, you know, maybe you just don't want to make the same record every time for three years.
1: No, I, I I get you. I think what it is for me, it's intent in, in the sense that if it's like a genuine artistic experience you want and the progression is like a thing that collectively <laughs> we do, then it makes sense. It's when it seems more awkward. Like I I would cite like, like DYS. DYS. Yeah, like, I know that's you know, one. Like, but I
0: also, we've talked about this on the show and people tell me yeah. that out of my mind. <laughs> I love that record. I, I, think. Know you, <laughs> I know you do. Yeah. And also like looking at who those people are in 2016 – Do you not think that's more of an accurate reflection of who they were as people? I think
1: like, I don't think you're far off in that. I just think it's just hard to swallow on the back of what the first thing is. Yeah. No, the first thing
0: is a, is a pretty special record. And that's like one of those records that, you know, some people like dismiss now outright, but I, I love that record forever. Yeah.
1: I think this, this question is that I think we've largely explored this before. I don't think there are many bands that didn't do this. It's actually rarer to find bands that didn't have one weird departure situation. Like if they were actually long running from the nineties that lasted all the way to the end or eighties that lasted all the way to the <laughs> end of the fifties. I think like there are rare examples of bands that don't have that little blip, at the very least. Um but again I don't fault a lot of them. Like Warzone to this day does not, you know, I don't even have like a. I don't have a negative feeling, even with that record. It's like it just—I just ignore it. <laughs> but like, yeah, it doesn't change anything for me.
0: But yeah, interesting topic. There are definitely bands that that have that run that never change their sound, like never, yeah. never, like never embarrassingly change their sound.
1: But I think they're they're more rare. I think most bands did try to do something strange. If yeah, they last long. Like, I think the exception
0: is the bands that didn't. You know, like, no, exactly. Like, Exactly. Yeah. You know, the, the bands that are the, the exceptions, but like then even then it's like, did, did, how many fans were on board that entire way? Like, we're like, yes, out cold, make, this, <laughs> make that record, you know, make another record that's like incredible, but poison idea indebted punk rock. Yeah. You know, like how many people were around for that whole ride, you know, when, true. every time I, they came through town, like this, this is the argument,
1: right? And I, it's, I don't know. Gigi
0: Allen changed the sound.
1: <laughs> very much so big time the end of his career did not sound anything like the beginning no he got worse
0: like and i mean less profesh- proficient
1: i don't even mean a proficiency aside like stylistically it was just way more i don't know not even metal but definitely
0: not what that early stuff is no he reverse sold out it was like he got less <laughs> commercial like his early stuff was like poppy and catchy and kind of good yeah, and then, I yeah agree. So towards the end you're just like oh god what happened here <laughs> <laughs> good
1: point dame good point <laughs> um, it's very true i've never thought about it in that regard
0: before that is a funny way of putting it uh, we will get into gg allen in a future episode trust me on this one <laughs> um, so uh i guess uh transitioning into the next email at this point right or do, do you have anything else to talk about in this no point? no i'm good on that uh so sam r yeah covering songs in the presence of the original band members uh to various degrees of approval my band, for a while, covered Gods of Drugs by Spike in Vain, And when we played in St. Louis recently, apparently the singer lives in the city now. And a friend of ours in the attendance took a cell phone video and sent it to the former singer of Spike in Vain. Our friend thought he'd be stoked. His first response was not even playing in the right key. They're not even playing in the right key because they used an alternate tuning for that and a bunch of other songs. We don't know how to do an alternate tuning live, so we don't use them at all. So we don't. We just don't play it anymore. haha. Ha. We didn't exactly revoke privilege. He didn't exactly revoke pig privilege, but he kind of had that effect. We might play it again anyway. I'd personally be down. Um, yeah, like I don't know that Artemis Pile one. Did I bring that up on the show? Is that what this is in reference to? I think so. It was okay. the. Uh, no, I think you brought up the no warning story. Oh, yeah. There's also the Artemis Pyle one that I think is a famous one where they covered Gizm and got told not to do it <laughs> by the drummer. <laughs> That's amazing. I believe I might be getting the facts wrong on the band, but it makes sense that it would be Gizm. <laughs> That's fun. Uh, but like that, it was considered disrespectful to cover a Japanese band.
1: You may have mentioned that. I can't remember if it was that. Anyway, yeah. Hilarious. <laughs>
0: Uh, let's save this next email. Let's. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm with you. I was already on
0: that. Uh, I think all these. I think all these rest of these emails. There's nothing else that pertains to the show, right? Well, the one I want
1: to, to talk about because we did say it is this Beastie Boys one, which I can run through really quick.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. We should definitely run through that Beastie Boys one. Is there anything that pertains to this episode though? Not in the ones you're talking about glossing okay. over. Which no, we let's will. go. Let's go back to them next week or. Yeah, let's go back to them uh, next week or another time. Yeah, because we have uh, a monster
1: of things going down on the show tonight. Uh, so, and this document keeps messing up. Are we up,
0: already okay? an hour and 21 minutes into this episode? Yes, which means
1: we're two and a half hours in, <laughs> technically, for oh the listener. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, we'll run through this really quick, and then we'll discuss uh, what little we yes. can in our time. Uh, subject, Beastie Boys 90s era, uh Dead Fucking Last, Grand Royal, etc. from Drew N. Uh, caught up with the Sound on Sound episode uh, mentioned here. Big fan of that era of Beasties. Um, I want to mention that the drummer of the 90s hardcore lineup was Amory Smith, a.k.a. AWOL, who also played drums on the first Suicidal Tenancies album.
0: Oh, wow. I did not was, know
1: that. Yeah, and was in that L.A. thrash band Uncle Slam.
0: Um, I've got an uh, Uncle Slam LP. There you go. It has also, a picture of a... Uh, uh, a, a woman's genitals. <laughs> Good
1: lord. um Also, as mentioned, uh, Damien mentioned, the Beastie's doing basement hardcore shows in Japan in the 90s, and that's not quite went down, but he's on the right track. Starting in 95 and continuing through to 97, the Beastie Boys played occasional all hardcore shows under the name Quasar. The first show was at Coney Island High in November of 95. And you can see it on a YouTube link provided here, which we will put up. Uh, yeah. There's also a video of them playing a house show in Lake Tahoe in 96, which doesn't have great sound, but is worth watching for the spectacle, if nothing else. Uh, and, of course, the link provided for that, too. Uh, finally, they did a tour of Australia and Japan in early 97 as Quasar and did a 20-song set list mixing up Aglio Olio, polywog stew material in a random covers. And random covers, pardon me, like Wonderwall. They wore weird costumes during that tour that are clearly the precursors to the costumes they wear in the intergalactic video, which was about a year afterwards. Mm. Uh, they were used. To, uh, there used to be a full set from Tokyo that apparently was professionally filmed from that era. That apparently is not. Excuse me, online anymore, unfortunately. Uh, But all the beastie hardcore stuff from that era is worth tracking down, which we've kind of touched on in previous weeks. Uh, But speaking of mullets, uh, the listener here also claims that Grand Royal Magazine was responsible for coining the term mullet, which I do not recall. And I think they had an incredibly extensive article, I remember, about
0: them at the time.
1: Yeah. And so, I don't know, I believe the term I would heard before ever that, so I, I don't know, maybe that's correct, but I have we a We used to
0: call it hockey hair,
1: right? That was what we called it in Canada. I guess, kind of, but I don't remember, like, mullet didn't seem that new. Uh, anyway, interesting. Um, Short, long. Yeah, and it talks about here, there's a whole article of Mike D walking around LA wearing a mullet and a guitar soft case, uh, and... Uh, the listener here, this is for you, Damien. Uh, yes. I do, they mentioned they still have Grand Royal. I was in Grand Royal issue two, uh, which you uh, and they do have uh, issues three to six still, and likely a double of six. And if they dig, they will gladly give you their extra issue of six Whoa. if you want it. I so would there love you go. it. Would yes, love so that. please. Uh, and as for Dead Fucking Last, the original lineup features... <laughs> In addition to Crazy Tom on vocals and Monty M on guitar, the only constant members, uh, Ad-Rock was on bass, Mike D on drums. Mike was only briefly in the band. AWOL also did a brief stint, but Ad-Rock stuck around long enough to play bass on the first 7-inch on Grand Royal, uh, which the internet says is called My Crazy Life. I never had that record, but I did have Proud to Be on CD. And uh, they just go on to say that Proud to Be is really easy to find for cheap. Oh, my God. uh, Yeah, it was everywhere back then too. Yeah. And uh, there you go. So that was all the Beasties stuff. Hugely appreciated. Yeah, hugely. That was great, great email. Thank you. And Damien does want that uh, issue, so I will <coughs> The uh, – We'll figure it out. Yeah. Anyway, thanks for writing. So there we go.
0: We should get uh, a postal box set up one day, Chris. It would be nice. Things we should do after the tour when we're rolling in that post-tour <laughs> money. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Buy your tickets for those shows, everyone, please. Yes. Please. Uh, I guess we should move on to today's episode. Yeah, uh, sure. A, a nightmare of amazingness to get into with the great god of Cleveland, Ohio, Tony Motherfucking Erba Um, this is going to be a cool episode to talk about. But Chris, we've talked so long already, so we got to make these ones good because i was feeling <laughs> you and me are both going to get tired out pretty yeah. quick. Yeah So uh, I guess I'm going to give you the first pick Oh
1: good lord Um, My god What to start with here Well um, Oh my I I just thought you guys nerded out about wrestling a lot Which I expected But uh, (laughs) I think that I'm surprised you, you don't have him on
0: your wrestling uh, show, first of all. He's going uh, to be. There's, a, there's, like a, there's like a bunch of people that it, it's kind of weird juggling these things. Like Lars, for instance, wanted to do this. I was trying to get him on the wrestling podcast way before this. Um, but then he was just like, no, I want to do a part two of Out of Punk. He didn't say that specifically. He just was like, you know, kind of not responding to the wrestling podcast. But then as soon as I brought Turn Out of Punk, he was like, yep, let's do that one. So, uh, we're going to do a, we did the turn down of punk instead, but you know, with the Tony Irby, I could have had him on the wrestling show easily. Um, and I think he will be obviously in the future, we've got a huge guest coming in this week for this, that show. I don't want to say who it is because in case we don't record it, but that's, it's going to be a really cool one for that show. But yeah, Tony would easily fit on that. Tony knows so much about wrestling and I think he's like, I really think he's the guy responsible for me thinking wrestling was cool enough to admit that I liked publicly. And that's not me. It was like (laughs) cool. with like all the like, you know, popular kids in my school, but I mean like cool in the sense that it was cool enough that it wasn't, you know, just the annoying kind of like semi-popular kids in my school that liked it.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think, uh, well, I agree in the sense that I I could see that being brought out of you by him or someone like him. Yeah. Um, I like the idea that he, he framed it really well. And kind of what you're discussing, uh, is that you have it. you have a title here as a connoisseur of trash culture. Um, I like that idea. And I like, <clears throat> excuse me. I think that people like him and some others in the nineties, um, were responsible for kind of like making that cool, if you will, like mm-hmm. that kind of like thing. And you, you speak about, of course, about anti anti scene, which I'm sure you'll bring up. Um, but that kind of stuff is important in the sense that – because I do feel for a minute at least and, and arguably it comes and goes that people kind of uh, get a little too cool for school on like that kind of stuff. So it's important to have people who are like championing this stuff and I believe that's what you're talking about in your guilt
0: of acknowledging <coughs> at a certain point. Yeah, like I think trash culture which then becomes you know uh, hate zine culture <laughs> which was brought up on the Saroosh episode. Yeah. um, Like, you know, the, the biggest influence of all that kind of like 90s, you know, underground culture is is vice. You know, and I'm not saying that because I work there. I'm saying that because, you know, even if I didn't, like it's a billion dollar media organization that basically comes out of like the same sort of world that Tony Urba kind of comes out of. Like just like obsessively tape trading and like being obviously Tony Urba is a collector beyond reproach. I mean, but... At the same time, like it's like you know it's the same sort of culture I think that bred the the two you know the the two things, yeah, I agree um but yeah, he is you know like that night I spent I talk about it on the show briefly with him at his house watching videos i saw <clears throat> I saw an array of things I saw newscasters having meltdowns, I saw. <laughs> Japanese wrestling, a lot of the stuff for the first time, deathmatch stuff for the first time. I saw, uh, you know, some incredibly horrifically bizarre videos. I saw a woman, uh, uh, doing, uh, I believe the I believe the term is actually queefing to <laughs> Steve. I records. Jesus. Um, okay. And then send what she sent to Steve. I, as, like, a, a tape, a performance tape for him. Wow. Um, <clears throat> yeah, like, all these weird, all these really bizarre tapes that we spend the night watching at his house. A uh, a very weird night, <laughs> but a very pivotal night for me, you know, like, as someone who kinda had an interest <laughs> in all this, like, weird stuff. That at the time, like, you couldn't just go on YouTube and look up, like, you know, Apocalypse t- Pooh or uh, NWA Straight Outta Compton synced up to Fat Albert. <laughs> you know, you couldn't find that stuff unless you were at someone's house and they're like, Hey, I got a tape. Mr. Show did an amazing sketch about like, you know, someone going, Hey, I got a tape. You know, you want to see, check out this tape. And it was like all this about like, you know, a tape of the month that would show up and it would just be all these like crazy videos. And eventually like towards the end of the decade into the two thousands, you start seeing that like banned from TV tape culture on the rise. But prior to that, it was like tape trading. It was like people that collected wrestling tapes and music tapes that would be like passing this stuff around. Like I got the Bud Dwyer video on a tape that I got from Chris Callahan because someone made him. I think it was maybe someone from Rorschach. No, Rorschach was on the tape, but made it and had the Bud Dwyer suicide footage before Rorschach would play. And you're like, fuck, I got to watch this again.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah, I think the
1: uh, kind of putting the idea that the video trading was as uh pivotal as bootleg trading or, you know, demo trading or whatever. I think that's accurate. I vaguely I mean, we're young enough to remember or old enough, pardon me, to remember it. Uh but I would even say like because I'm Tony's a little older than both of us, it would it was at its peak a little earlier. Like I was seeing the ends of that kind of mm-hmm. uh stuff personally. Mm-hmm. And I never really did a lot of like trading tapes with people in that way, like corresponding at least. But I did have like friends who would like the stuff you're talking about, like the stupid uh, – well, arguably stupid, like the really trash culture stuff you'd get, you know, you'd, like faces of death or something like that. But like not um, not so much like the – I don't know, the higher brow artsy related stuff. I didn't ever got into that until later. Um, so I missed that kind of whole wave. But, it's uh, kind of
0: film threat magazine culture. Yeah. You know, like hated and like – yeah. All these other weird tapes, and then like later it would be like Lost and Found Video Night, and these other clip people that were putting out stuff before YouTube kind of wiped all that stuff off the face of the earth. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> but like there would be these, yeah, film threat. Like you know, and that's where Todd Phillips gets a start, and that's where, which is know, crazy to think. But yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, hated. That's where they, they they put out hated. I know it's such a good movie too. It really is. Yeah, it's so it's such an amazing like it's never brought up as like a a, a directorial debut, but like for that for like that to be the first time documentarian and that to be the work they put out, like <laughs> yeah. how incredible is that? And for that person to go on to make like
1: a ton of money in the industry,
0: <laughs> yeah. And I would say, ar- ar- like arguably, like you know, I don't mean, I don't think this is even like a hard argument to make, but like less daring artistic films you know and certainly less uh i don't know like his films are i love his movies you know like i love his comedies and that's you know maybe not always the best thing to say because like not all of them but uh, most of his comedies i love but at the same time you know that is like such an accomplished movie for like that to be your first film
1: Well, I think, like, the subject matter is interesting because I think it works on both levels. He can, like, freak out people who have no idea what that was. And then for other people who, because I remember being interested in, um, you know, obviously, like, as a young person interested in, like, extreme music and things of that nature, I was familiar with, obviously, G.G. Allen at a point. And I think, like, when Hated came out, I had already known who he was. So it was like the, it was like this, a perfect, uh, like official document all of a sudden that you could reference. Whereas before you would have to look at like weird, like performance videos that were like shot like crap and like just whatever. And so this was like the, the thing that really kind of like, I don't know, legitimized it in a certain way. And so I think he, he kind of hit the perfect thing because it was just such an like an oddity. And, but I just think it's a perfect, uh, Whatever. I, I I just think it's really well done I still I watched it maybe a year or two ago and I couldn't believe how much it still held up
0: oh yeah and, like uh, I last time I watched I've watched it so many times just like at parties and just like so many different times yeah but last time I watched it I was uh, at a, like a cannabis grower's house and they had a <laughs> bunch of people that worked there all hanging out watching videos and they were like watching like quote-unquote crazy performance videos yeah, and I'm like, do you want to see the craziest performance video of all time? And everyone's like, sure, you know. And I forget that I'm not in a room full of punk people. That like, <laughs> you know, when I'm like, have you seen Hayden? They're like, no. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, oh, it's Todd Phillips, the guy who did Old School's first movie, you know, and The Hangover. <laughs> and they're like, oh wow, okay. So they you know get excited, but I forget these are normals, you know. Even though they're cannabis <laughs> people, they're normals yeah. compared to like the punk people. So they have no expectations. So I put this on and I look around the room about 20 minutes in and everyone's just like, jaws are on the floor. Like people are like, this cannot be, this is fucking real. Oh yeah. This is real. And I'm like, yeah, this is real. <laughs> this is all real. There's other performance videos that might be arguably crazier. It's, um, it's what
1: it is though. It's not just because the performances are nuts. Cause you're familiar with that infamy, but like, it's the way he films it in like a – no, this guy's day-to-day everything is like
0: a mess. And like it's, yeah. this isn't an act. Like the dude is like <laughs> – OK. I'm going to spoiler alert because this is going to be revealed on this week's Turn It Punk. But it's going to be coming out anyway the next day. And I don't think it's like the, you said a lot around social media. But Gerard Cosloy is in two weeks on the show, right? Nice. And his stories about Gigi Allen and putting out Gigi Allen's records and playing in Gigi Allen – It's This guy is so fascinating as a human being. And, like, yeah, deplorable, like, as a human being, too. Like, some of the shit he did is just, like, unforgivable, reprehensible, you know? But at the same time, a fascinating character study. (laughs) or fascinating person to study.
1: Yeah, completely. And I think, like, that movie, you don't have to really even see anything else. Like, that movie perfectly is the perfect document to exemplify everything. And it doesn't really cover any of like the early material uh, as far as like performance wise, but it, it, yeah, I don't know. I just, I can't believe how much I still like that movie. And I, I almost wish I didn't, (laughs) but it is very, very good. Yeah. It's
0: hard. It's hard to kind of like argue with, uh, you know, like the fact that that movie is something that you kind of keep finding yourself watching, you know, how many, how many music documentaries are even like that?
1: yeah agreed and uh if the newer versions of it because i had a vhs when it came out way way back when and the dvds now the bonus footage on it is crazy it actually has his like final like whatever living oh, moments basically the
0: last show where he's walking around new york afterwards
1: yeah and it shows him basically getting the cab and then he goes and dies like it's it's <laughs> it's crazy that it's that um whatever that uh Like it exposes that much of the whole scenario is is wild.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that is the thing is it's, it's, he was like a very well documented person, you know, for a person who existed in a time pre-cell phone camera, I guess it speaks to like, if you're a, if you're a train wreck, but also, but more like if you're a spectacle, people will look. And people want to see it and people will record it. Like, it's amazing the documentation that's out on this guy.
1: No, it's true. Agreed. And imagine what it would be like in this era if he existed
0: now. Like, it would be. We talk about that on the podcast. We'll get into all this GGL stuff in a future episode. But anyway, it's a weird thing to get into from a tape trading (laughs) call. So the show goes. Yeah. Uh, So is it my turn?
1: Yeah, grab something.
0: Fuck, should we get an anti-scene?
1: <laughs> Might as well. We've ever, have we ever
0: done like a real one in like a real section <laughs> of anti I'm.
1: It's
0: a really so hard, hard it's, a, it's a complicated band to get into. Like, we, Tony and I can't touch on it on this one. Uh, it's a band that definitely has some imagery and iconography that is indefensible and certainly not in line with my sensibilities. Uh, they are a band that, uh, musically, the uh, I have found few bands as influential and, and, and interesting to me. I think they play heel. I think, you know, Tony kind of alludes to this, but there's a lot more going on with them, you know, and certainly some members are politically, yeah, I wouldn't say, you know, certainly not as right wing as some people would paint them, but yeah. definitely, you know, like one member, Joe Young ran for the Libertarian Party. So definitely not in line with my politics. But at the same time, uh, you know, I think there's like a lot more, I think they play heel. They play the bad guy in music and they play, you know, because they're a wrestling band. They are influenced by wrestling in a real way and they want to be the bad guys. And so they play that up, but they are a very interesting band to discuss and a very fascinating band to get into. And a band that's uh, worth, worth investigating, you know, a band that, that is, you know i can 't wait to talk about it right now chris let 's fucking do this.
1: <laughs> well, the
0: thing with anti scene is you 're way more versed than I am like i 'm
1: definitely familiar with the band, but i 'm not as like I do not have the records you have or any of that um, exposure so i 'm not the greatest source to 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 give opinions on it because i haven 't heard the vast majority, but I have always liked this band from afar uh, been mildly apprehensive at times for the reasons that you 've mentioned uh in sort of disclaiming it but uh what what specifically did you want to get at about them
0: Well i guess we should talk about just like uh let's do the uh dissection of the discography type thing i'll i'll take you through it chris Well the first record
1: i tried to get into and i've gotten into like sort of like at a distance is southern hostility <clears throat> from 91 but i never that one and i have uh the later a later 90s one which might be a reissue actually to ruin your groove is that a reissue or is that actually that, that's you know, a, that's a real record yeah that's from the
0: um, 90s I have that that's like there that would I would say to me is like the uh the LP to kind of get yeah um I love the way uh yeah I, I love I love that album it's one of my favorites uh the other out there LPS are interesting I think there's like a lot of cool stuff to me they're a band that though you know like the more possum is worth getting into like a lot of the LPS once again not all the lyrics, but if you look at them as being bad guys, you know if they're like if you look at them as being like the Ric flair yeah of 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 music, you know lyrically, it's kind of fun, you know, and you look at the baby faces being propagandy. um you know that's like that's your dusty that's your dusty roads.
1: I love actually that you love both of those band. I never thought about that before, because you really dig this band <laughs> like, I love this band this is like my uh I think uh, this is your, your greatest conflict.
0: This is my greatest conflict,
1: <laughs> musically. Is being, being propaganda but also being anti-scene simultaneously.
0: I know the world would function better if everyone was propaganda but <laughs> it's entertaining to have people playing at being anti-scene. Agreed, yes. You know, and I think with anti-scene, being who they are it's, and being as complicated a band as they are... It's, it's a lot more refreshing. It's not like, you know, liking a, a band that's like a, like a, a Nazi band or something, you know, where you're like, Oh, these guys believe this and this is real. This is not yeah, to yeah. say that these guys are like a band like that band, White Pride or something, like where they're yeah, play yeah. acting at being Nazis, quote unquote, where they're actually maybe sketchy, legit. This is with anti scene. I think it's a lot more like it, it's, it's wrestling. It's pro wrestling. Um <laughs> so let's get into the singles, which is where I think the uh the real action starts with this band. Okay, well give your top five. What well the EP from eighty five is is interesting. I think like it's lo-fi ish, kinda like hardcore. The reason they're called anti scene is apparently Jeff Clayton was seeing uh someone uh from Charlotte and uh or sort of from Raleigh, and she ran off with a future member of a uh, amazing hardcore band (laughs) that Chris and I are both a fan of, but uh, no names will be revealed. And uh, he hated the fact that this had happened. So he moved up to uh, Charlotte and started a band called anti scene because he was anti the Raleigh scene. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I might be fudging some details on that story, but I believe that's how it all went down. And so they formed this band, they put this this record drastic, but I think it's really the next record, Royalty, where you start seeing like what they're going to be doing, uh, song wise. Uh, you know, it also features, uh, an artist by the name of Marion Cherry, who's a very talented musician who would go on to have kind of a career as a, uh, a, a career in the sense that he would do like two records at least, uh, on more kind of like, uh, like a, a, a a jazz world psychedelic rock kind of influence thing okay um and he and he like uh you know and then he also put a record on Fang Records too a solo record in 1990 which cool. is the the same label that put out you know a lot of amazing records around that same time uh and so the uh would uh th- you know go on to do other records like you know covering all these weird bands okay once again though, back to the task at hand picking top five uh i then would say uh today your love tomorrow the world which is maybe one of the best covers of all time though it's not better than the ramones cover it's pretty fucking high up there uh, <laughs> yeah i love that song oh and their cover of it is
1: so good chris that's on the actual ep Yeah, EP is that on? That's on the second one.
0: That's on today. Your love, tomorrow the world.
1: Oh, it's actually a EP. Never mind. Yeah, it's on the
0: it's on the uh, the seven inch. You know, Um, and they cover the witch and like you know they cover you know a lot of weird stuff. (laughs) Not always good stuff, uh, but a lot of weird stuff. Uh, Blood of freaks is a a crazy. They've got the song hippie punk. Once again, can't abide by all the lyrics, but it's a whole (laughs) song about hating uh, hippie punks or basically any punk. That's not an anti-scene type punk. And Wasn't that uh is that, that's not a cover though. That's one of their
1: songs. That's one is, of their songs. There is the infamous hippie punk song as well, which is another
0: obscure record. But anyway, okay. They're, this one is a, an incredible song by them. Um, and they, uh, worked out a gimmick <laughs> at one point cause they had this whole thing with buzz oven that apparently buzz oven them hated each other. Yeah. Because Buzz Oven were obviously crusties and they would have hated crusties as they would be labeled hippie punks, quote unquote. And so they had worked at this whole thing where like they played a show together one time and they went backstage before the show and they were friends with each other. So the dude from uh from Buzz Oven cut off some of his dreadlocks and Jeff went on stage and cut this whole wrestling promo about how he beat the shit out of the dude backstage and cut off his hair. Uh, very much <laughs> like Tony your story year. about being beat up by him um, as part of a wrestling gimmick in one time at a show. I feel, I think I remember hearing that was that on the first time you said
1: the first interview. No, that's in this interview. I think he talks about oh, okay. it. Okay, about the, the first one. Maybe talked about it in the first one. I Sorry. think it was the first one. I remember hearing something like that. Yeah, yeah.
0: but he is truly a uh, <coughs> yeah, like a band that I would I've never gotten to see live, but I would love to fucking see. You've never seen anti scene at all. Never. Wow, I've, yeah. I've
1: never have either. I'm just surprised you haven't, in some capacity, having traveled.
0: Yeah, no, I've I've gotten to see like you know a lot of my <laughs> bands that I've wanted to see over the years, but they are certainly one of the few that I've never gotten to see. Um, and they've just never played. At, they might have played Buffalo one time, but I think it was away on tour type things. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I would I would love to see him. And then I think Joe Young's passed away, the guitar player. But they're like the band that got me. They introduced me to Sun Ra. They introduced me to uh, Rocky Erickson. Rocky Erickson, or yeah, uh, which also got me into 13 Floor Elevators through their wow. and th- through all their covers, you know. And they they it, you know they did a record with Gigi Allen. <laughs> so yeah, again, of course. Yeah, maybe that's a, a check mark in the other side of uh, the <laughs> not being able to defend them box but they i don't know they're a they're a band that i think if you're a wrestling fan and if you can find a way to to get past some lyrics and stuff like that or they're they're a very interesting band to kind of get into
1: i like the idea looking at the like the the progression of their singles and things of that nature that they actually had they did a sub-pop single, which isn't that bizarre, thinking about it even in retrospect, but <clears throat> knowing kind of their their sort of, at least if not tongue-in-cheek attitude, that that actually came about.
0: And, yeah, well, uh, they, were, they were like friends with, I think also it's like sub-pop did Dwarves records, you know? Like I think sub-pop in 2016 yeah. would not get away with that kind of stuff. Like, you know, it's, it's Piss Jeans is a very mild... Kind of like you know, band compared to like the Dwarves or Anti Scene, but like yeah. an idea. Did a record on, yeah,
1: on some yeah. A lot of bands singles. I just mean it's funny that, um, it's it's like what you're saying. It's like well, Anti Scene, if the intent in the name exists, the idea that you know, if you think about '92 when this was released, um, and there's the infamous like the Mummies writing a rejection letter yeah. to like Sub Pop, which is like a you know a meme now kind of. But at the time it was like a huge deal and then Dwarves getting kicked off. So the idea that like anti-scene was willing to do a single seems kind of funny in retrospect. I don't blame them at all. I'm happy they did. But it's just funny that they didn't like deny that or whatever.
0: Well, they did like singles. If you look at their, <clears throat> their discography on oh, yeah, was every annoying. label that kind of like would do singles for them, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. But, yeah, so I think from some Pop's perspective, they were probably like, you know, 92 Sub Pop, it might might have been the lean years or the beginning of the lean years um, at least. So, you know, they and I think there was also a point where Anti-Scene might have been on the verge of crossing over. I have the Anti-Scene book and reading through it. There's some weird press clippings in it. Oh, cool. I'd like um, to see that. I got to borrow that off you. Yeah. Are you on the Discogs right now? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Go to the bottom know. of the page and click on that first video, anti C- on chick go go <laughs> Yeah, okay. Watch it. It's, it's peculiar so far. Oh, get ready. It gets weirder. <laughs> this was like, a, a, uh, like some sort of weird kid show, I think, is the story, if I remember correctly. I don't know. I'm, I'm too tired to remember correctly at this point, but this is great. I would This be might be the one of my favorite things to watch on YouTube. Um, you know, and very reflective of like
1: <laughs> <laughs> so good.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh, it's so awesome. I have to put this out for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it truly really is. And the music, anyway. Is good like, point. This gives you a reflection of what they are. Um, someone once described Jeff Clayton as being one of the great unsung punk rock vocalists to me. I think it was Glenn Salter, um, and that that rings true to me always. Like I think his voice, like balancing sort of like a weird way of kind of incorporating melody into a harsh vocal and a gruffness, has been always like he's someone that I've modeled my vocal on in a big way.
1: nice you
0: know (laughs) DIY spirit of Tony Erba political leanings hopefully of you know ideally or of Chris Hanna but failing at that (laughs) and then uh, you know and then uh, Jeff Clayton minus the guns with all these people obviously but (laughs) 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 and then Jeff Clayton vocals yeah
1: regardless I think that was a good little uh, anti-scene segment you always do justice to it and uh at which point I'm fully enveloped. I will be able to submit more opinion, but uh, I'm, I'm just like, I'm very intrigued by this group, but I don't know a ton about them at all.
0: Yeah. Like really a great band and a fun band to kind of investigate and an interesting band to investigate, no matter what your kind of take is on them. Ultimately, I cannot assure anyone, but, uh, uh, certainly a band that's got some interesting videos to watch (laughs) live. (laughs) Yep. Uh, I guess, uh, next point, all
1: right. Well, first of all, I want—I can't believe how many face value reunions there have been. I was not aware of that <laughs> up yeah. until this interview. Uh, I was kind of surprised to learn it, although the circumstances appear to always be kind of crappy, which sucks. But I wasn't uh, – again, I thought they'd maybe done one. When you saying they'd done numerous, I had no idea. But um, of your Herba bands, mm-hmm. I'm going to guess that H100 is your favorite, but I don't know. Is that your number one? I kind of was thinking about
0: this, like, to me, H100s would be the best punk band from Cleveland. Like, my personal favorite, like, people would be like, "What? how can you say the fucking Frankenstein, and then rock for the tubes, and oh, God. But, like, you know, for me personally, my favorite punk band would probably be the H100s, and my favorite hardcore band would be Integrity. Yes, we. There was a brief discussion of this before we recorded.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. uh, I don't think you're wrong in saying that. I I don't think there's some other Clevo bands I might. I mean, integrity is hard to argue with what you're saying. Yeah, to me, it's just there's there's it's it's a hard thing. H one hundred I think is more of like a personal preference thing. Yeah, but about you,
0: I I I think I went through this on the show with him, and I've gone through it before with people. But why my theory on why. That is the greatest American punk record or American rock and roll record ever made. <laughs> you talked to me about this years ago, but I, I don't know if you've gotten on the show. Okay, well, let's go through it really quickly. Uh, I think if you start with like the rolling – the, why the H100 is the greatest American rock band of all time. So you talk about like the first like uh, American rock and roll band. Uh, you being the Rolling Stones, and I know that makes no sense. You know, I been in mind I've changed my theory since back then. This is my <laughs> old theory, but this is because like they were like the distillation of like appropriating uh, that po- African American rock rock and roll music, who ultimately rock and roll music obviously comes from, but like you know uh, taking that and, and and turning it into something a little more marketable, and then that is like American rock and roll, you know. And then that, beca- you know, like from then you go to the, the Doors, you know, because you have like a, a more flamboyant, more over the top front person yeah. in Jim Morrison from Mick Jagger. And you have like you once again, this kind of like the music that was like, you know, is, is changing a little bit. And then obviously the Doors are a massive influence on all that L.A. stuff, first wave L.A. punk. But there you go to the Germs and the importance of like, you know, once again, the lead singer getting more and more intense in Darby crash, becoming you know, like a, uh, a more sorry for dead boys. I I'm sorry, I, sk- I skipped two steps. I skipped, uh, the stooges, <laughs> stooges and dead boys. Yeah. Stooges. And I, I think I've left the dead boy. I think I removed the dead boys. I
1: okay. think you go from
0: the stooges with Iggy pop to the dead boys with Darby crash, you know? Yeah. Um, and then I guess you could, you technically could go to Steve lucky from the vile zones, But then from the... You're missing another one, too. Who would you say? The one we just discussed earlier. (laughs) Gigi Allen? Yeah. I don't think Gigi Allen, because I don't think the music's the same intensity. Like, you know, I think that his, like, music's, like, a weird, you know, it's not like, you know, like, I think the music's also kind of getting refined in intensity, too.
1: Yeah, I thought you were talking more of the, the front person archetype and trajectory,
0: but okay, go on. And also, I think, like, Chris Herb is, like, his front person what he was doing was different than Gigi's
1: oh no I agree I just thought you you were going to trace all of the like the wild men that you know come to the H100 no that's true yeah that's all go on
0: no but I think then and then you have the H100s as like after the germs the perfect sort of distillation of this energy that starts with this like anger and this front person that keeps getting more and more intense until you have Chris Erba Tony's brother who uh the legends are innumerable <laughs> um yeah like truly uh whew. uh but yeah so the H 100s would be my my number one uh Cleveland band i think for punk and that's my yeah, th- that's my weird theory that i used to always band about with people i've i've since dialed back on this theory a little bit a lot of it. You had a really great theory, specifically
1: about dismantle before, which you used to tell very passionately. That I oh, can't yeah. remember.
0: If you listen to that record, uh, B side first, it's like my favorite American punk seven inch from the nineties. I would definitely say.
1: <laughs> you had more though, because you, you extrapolated the lyrics. You, you were yeah, like middle. it starts.
0: It starts like very much is like introducing Chris Herbert introduces himself. Like I was born like when you listen to a B side first, right? And it starts with panic attack. He's like, I was born, so now I suffer as a victim of the product as your backward system. I want to destroy everything. My mind is contorted. It would have been better off if I was aborted. So he kinda introduces himself, right? Like as a character at this point. <laughs> yep. And then it sets up the rest of the record. Like, you know, he's presented himself to you and he's given his backstory and then here's where he's at now. And it's like, you know, fighting Nazis and fucking being crazy and doing drugs and just being a punk, you know, in, in Cleveland. That <laughs> yep. And it's, uh, yeah, it's like a, a great ride that record. And I still stand by that record as being like the, uh, like that's my number one nineties record. Yeah. I don't, I'd have to go through.
1: I mean, I love it. And, uh,
0: you definitely turned me onto it. I'd heard, only heard the, <clears throat> the death match one was the first one I heard. Well, that's the only one that was really readily available and it's a great record, but I don't think it's reflective of like as much of the brilliance as that first record is. Yeah. Yeah. agreed. Yeah. It's,
1: it's ironic that that's the one I like probably the least because I like the, the other two more.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Personally speaking. Yeah. I, I guess me too. Probably like my favorite songs are on brown sugar and, and, you know, dismantle or whatever, H one hundreds, H one hundreds, or whatever it's called. To yeah. me, it's called panic attack. Uh, <laughs> it is such a, a monster of a seven inch that that record is, you know, I don't know. I just perfect. I think it looks perfect. It it sounds perfect. Yeah. Agreed. It does have a great aesthetic.
1: I always wondered if why four version
0: I've like seven versions of it. I think I've always wondered the, the, the name, do you know what the name is in reference to? No, and I've always kind of wanted – I think it's maybe
1: a car thing. It might be. I mean it sounds about a right, but even the thing. logo, I don't know
0: like it, – because
1: it's a strange aesthetic and it's something that I've never picked out. And I'm get, if it is a car thing, it would make sense. That it's a motorbike. The car, There's but,
0: a type of motorbike called the Honda H100s. Oh, maybe that's it. Yeah. Um, anyway. That always used to come up on my eBay, save searches. <laughs> I'm going to be looking for like another weird version of that record. <laughs> there are a lot of cool weird versions that like aren't on discogs type shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like, a, you
1: have, you have a bunch.
0: Yeah. The, 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 so the story is Tony, but the first pressing he did all himself. Um, and there's like two pressings definitely of that record, a legit of the first press. Cause there's like a big hole version and a small hole version yeah, and then the first round of the seven inch, the first press had a pay no more than three ninety nine silk screened onto the side of the sleeve, yeah. but that part of the silk screen got clogged, so only the first dozen I've been told have that on it. Yeah, right. So that's that was the. Uh, well, I guess they've got fourteen versions of now, so they may have a pretty good run of the whole version thing. Um, and then there's two different versions on clear. Uh, there's the signed version that was called, uh, or a so numbered version that's called the Vanishing Signs Press. And there were 25 that were unnumbered but held the same sleeve, but they were, uh, only given away to friends apparently. Uh, and then there was also clear vinyl that was just thrown in the regular sleeve, 50 of them. Uh, then there's, uh, uh, there were these weird ones that showed up later that had red ink screened on them. Yeah. And, uh, and then, yeah, and then there was like the, the 500 or it like the 350 regular with the small hole. And that's the second press. The first press, they have that here too. Uh, <laughs> the first press is the ones that have uh, there's 400 on black and then 100 on red, which had red sleeves when they came out. Yeah. And then the first, as I said, few of those had that 399 silk screen thing stuck in it on the side.
1: Yeah, I have one of each of those, those pressings, but <clears throat> I don't have like any of the cra- crazy rare ones or whatever that you're
0: talking about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, crazy band. Oh, it's such a it's such a cool record, um, and uh, it's such a cool record to collect. And then there's of course the coalition pressing of it, and then there's this like other weird pressings of it that came out later, of course, and stuff. So. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a, a record worth tracking down in any form if you can. Yep, yeah, totally. Uh, should we move on to, uh,
1: the, I think you should, maybe we should pick a last point here cause we're going to do the wee hours
0: oh as they God. say. Oh my God. Yes. we <laughs> up very late, Chris.
1: <laughs> so I don't know, even I'm good on ending on that, but I'm trying to think. Let's talk later. about
0: nemesis records because another yeah. thing we should have talked about is of course the, uh, the fundraising thing that's going on which for now, ne- Oh, that's
1: right. The nemesis thing. Yeah. Correct. Um, so I don't know what, did you find that? I didn't have that called up.
0: I found it. I, I did find okay. it earlier. Let me just look it up again. Uh, but of course nemesis records was a, a label that, uh, we kind of briefly touched on it. Tony put out a seven inch on there and face value, but they put out like an ungodly amount of incredible records.
1: Yeah. It's like, it's crazy. I'm trying to call up the actual discography right now because I can't remember every single thing that's been on it.
0: But well, it's run by a label uh, by a guy named Big Frank Harrison, who's a tattoo artist, like someone who's been around for a while, uh, who unfortunately suffered a major heart attack and has been kind of like struck by uh, some really hard bills right now to have to deal with. Um, so they've started this fund for him. Uh, you can find it at GoFundMe page. It's GoFundMe dot com slash big frank and yeah like you contribute money once again if you have any money to give and you are a fan of any of these bands that he's put out because he has put out some you know like everything from course of disapproval against the wall bloodline bonesaw billingsgate so some pre dillinger four for you right there uh the uh face value of course as we mentioned final conflict Uh, Haywire instead, the offspring, as we talked about on the show, uh, a pitchfork, which is the pre rock from the tombs band, a rock from the crip band and, uh, uniform choice. I got to forget uniform choice and walk proud and visual discrimination. (laughs) Yeah. We did talk about this the other week, actually. Oh yeah, we we did go through this all. So anyway, please contribute if you can. And, uh, yeah um but that's that's i guess that's it for nemesis records i just wanted to touch on that yeah for sure good call
1: yeah i'll we'll link that up as well that <clears throat> part of me that
0: GoFundMe me that we just found fuck chris i really wanted to talk about boom and the legion of doom but Well will
1: bring it up let's
0: do it <laughs> i don't know oh <sighs> but no but should we because we have up with it okay boom in the legion of doom um it's a, 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 a are you familiar with this band I have not, so you got to carry this, my friend. It's it's a weird band uh, out of Detroit. I don't know too much about them. I picked up their records. Everything I hear about them is negative. There's another (laughs) band that's like maybe Gigi Allen-esque in their behavior. Uh, As Tony alluded to, they beat up – or they got into a fight, sorry, I should say. I don't know if they beat them up because I think that would be a hard fight to win depending on the lineup of youth today, but with youth today for throwing meat on them. Um, Oh, they were the – okay, yeah, yeah. I didn't associate that story, but okay. yeah. Uh, But they put all these these records on Depression Records was their label. And there are records on this label that have, like, cover art that gives me nightmares. Um, (laughs) It is a weird label that I've been kind of obsessed with collecting stuff on uh, just because it, it, it just, I don't know, it's just such a weird nook in music history. And it's like, you know, once again, completely despised by all accounts, by everyone around it. Really? Yeah. yeah,
1: And familiar, they had a,
0: a really uh, extensive discography Um I'm trying to call up, of course.
1: I think you brought up the... Um, you brought it up before. I don't remember what the hell reference, but we did talk about it a little bit.
0: The Plasma Alliance oh. and stuff? Yeah, maybe we did talk about some of the stuff. But anyway, Boom and the Legion of Doom were, I believe, the people that ran this label. And... Of course the band that put out the most records on the label. Yeah. Um <clears throat> and uh the whole way through they ran with their, their kind of involvement it looks like too. Uh but there are also Plainfield is another artist that's on this label that is of course a band that did a split with the Melvins really early on with the Melvins and did records on Bovine Records, which is a favorite label for us to talk about on the show. Yeah. And also did a record with Jell Biafra, backing up Jell Biafra. They've been around forever. So Arizona. which hold
1: on? Which group was this again? Plainfield. Plainfield. Okay, I was like, "Boom and Legion of Doom didn't do a record." What are you talking about? But okay, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, Dale Crover was in this band for a little bit too. Really? Yeah. Where were they based? Uh, they're from somewhere in the Midwest. Oh, weird. I believe. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe it's New York. Early early 90s. So he was in this band then. But they were formed in the 80s, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe it's well, wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is the first Seven Inches, not until the <coughs> 90s.
1: First one's 91. It's yeah, here. you're right. 91.
0: That's, uh, no, you're right. That's probably a Melt Banana they just split with, obviously. Weird. Yeah, I don't know this. I haven't heard this either. Um, uh, yeah, a, a cool band. like a, Definitely a, a very cool band to kind of like. You know, dive into musically. I think Chris, you'd be really into it.
1: Cool, I'll well, check it out. Yeah, a lot of this stuff I'm seeing, I'm just looking at it right up my alley. Even
0: just that Mel Banana split is interesting. Yeah, oh, and they fit, okay. That's it, Spelly, Smelly Mustafa, who's in Boom, Boom of the Legion of Doom. And apparently, most of the bands that were on Depression Records is also <laughs> in Plainfield. Ah, okay. Um, like is, it connects all that key in the Plainfield. So, yes, yeah, so that's maybe the connection between a lot of these bands. It says
1: he's on the Charlie Melt Banana Charlie LP too.
0: Yeah, he's. I think he's on the whole way through. Uh, oh, he's on just we'll- Melt Bananas Charlie record.
1: Yeah, it's. Sad. Oh, I weird. don't know what he did. Maybe produce it. I'm just trying to see here. Anyway, crazy. Um, <coughs> cool. Either way, I'll look into it. Slaughterhouse oh, yes, though He's on is- one track. He's on one track on it.
0: Okay, weird. I guess he was. I guess he did the split right with the field. vocal. He has a vocal contribution. It says here. Um the 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 record though that really disturbs the shit out of me is the Slaughterhouse seven inch,
1: <laughs> which you talked about on the show and I'd never seen,
0: but now I'm seeing it of course and yes that is a very disturbing. There's cover. another panel though that's really the other panel is the one that really disturbs you, which is the little girl from the front panel looking up as a guy holds a knife to the woman taped to the wall. Jesus. It's, yeah. like, so fucking disturbing.
1: It's actually a split, too. It's Depression and another label called Blizzard of Blood. Oh, well, yeah. Which Blizzard only released Blood. two things. It released that and the
0: compilation. Well, we're in a discogs. There's some holes in the discography. Oh yeah, It's a punk record where I have not heard of a single band on this comp other than that. It's a cassette comp. Yeah. But, like, have you heard of any of these bands? No. I, not the... T- Legion of Doom. I guess it's booming the Legion of Doom.
1: <laughs> if that's them, yeah. But, uh... No. Yeah. It seems like it's... It says industrial and punk. It seems like it's kind of like a noise thing. It would yeah, be maybe. Guess. Wow. But is this a noise record? This band seems like
0: they're a noise band. Oh, it's punk, goth rock. Yeah, it's like records. weird. It's like a very weird record. Um, I picked it up one time because I just, like, was at a record store and I just opened the cover and was like, this is too weird and then it was on depression yeah and it was another piece in the depression puzzle chris <laughs> how many of these have you knocked off pardon me how many do you have like in the depression catalog oh god now i gotta go uh, uh not i um, not not enough not as many as i should
1: um, do all of them like do you see when you call up the depression uh entry is that how all their labels look you see the image there yeah That's how all their
0: labels look? Pretty much. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah, they've got a really cool vibe. And I think there's another record before the Plasma Alliance one that uh, was – that's not here or maybe – There's one that's listed as Toxic Attitude, which is listed a year before. Yeah, there's Toxic Attitude. But then there was like – maybe it's Toxic Attitude – yeah, there's like another record I, I remember picking up at a friend's house and not buying in the end that I really regret that must have been the Toxic Attitude one. Um, but then there's, I think there's another record that's associated with them too that came out between Toxic Attitude and Plasma Alliance. But, um, but yeah, I've got like Plasma Alliance, I've got the Boom and the Legion of Doom stuff, I've got the Premature Babies records, I've got the Oly and Proud proud of them, the slaughterhouse but i don't have the boneyard i don't have a lot of the slater boot legion boom and legion doom stuff i wonder who did the
1: art like because if you look at the labels a lot of them look like it's got to be the same artist it's got to probably be one of them
0: i think it's maybe but the it, dude from Plainfield. Uh, the, cool. their records come with tons of shit too like comic books and like zines and like listings for other bands that are like fake bands apparently or huh crazy
1: interesting label yeah i didn't know anything about this i've heard you speak about it like vaguely before but
0: i haven't seen it in depth yeah no it's it's one of the ones that like i it's it's like a, a passion is is finding out stuff about this there you go well hey it's cool i think that's a good end end point here my friend yeah perfect we should end on that uh
1: i guess that's it chris like what should they do uh, you can reach us at turned out of punk at gmail.com. And we're always getting uh, tons of mail and we'll go through it on the show here.
0: And also go to Damienabraham.com, Click on that tope tour live or tour top live tab and pick up your tickets for those shows. Because as I say, there are tons of amazing guests. If you missed it at the beginning of the show, uh, I'm not going to run through them again. So rewind and then look it up or just look it up on the internet. I'm sure it'll be on the internet hopefully today. Uh, so yeah, check that out. That'll be a fun time. Okay. I guess that's it. Anything else, Chris? No, I'm good, man. Okay. If you want to reach us here, you know how. Uh, if you want to reach me, com, and uh, various forms of social media, at left for Damien. And uh, once again, uh, check out that Vice Bloodlust. Thank you. See you next week. Anyone anyway, we can do this shit. So go out there and make your own culture. Do something. Cause uh, you know, you'll find you'll find people that that are looking for what you're doing. I you know, trust people that listen to this right now. There's gotta be an audience for your bullshit. Trust me. <laughs> all right. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day.